Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Right on, another awesome show planned for today. One of my favorite people is going to be joining us, John Kariaku. So I am looking forward to that at 9 o'clock. Who doesn't love John? John is awesome. Absolutely awesome. And like they said, John has a story for everything, right? I know. He has this expensive, like, career that is astonishing um, in general. But, yeah, we get to see. But, like, to to John. You, you think of CIA, CIA spooks. Yes. And you think... Like, you don't think him. No, you think you think like a Ned Price, like yeah. pencil pusher, you know, like these nerd guys or like these sleuth agent type, like, and then... Not gregarious and affable. Right. That isn't... Not John Kiriakou. No, that doesn't come into mind. Um, but... Which makes sense why he didn't get along with them at the end and, you know. But it also makes sense why he was good at his job. Well, that too. Because if you think about it, being a spy, you... Shouldn't look like an egg rice. Who would peg him? Right, exactly. Who would peg John as a spot? Nobody would. When you get to talk to him, you're like laughing, you're talking to hear these stories and everything else. And then, like, I remember one time John pulled out his phone and he was showing me Abu Zabaya and all of the people being shot around him. And he's like, oh, take a look at this. Yeah, this is when I was there and we were getting this part. And it's like, dude, you're showing me dead bodies. It's just like very matter of fact. Yeah, very matter of fact. It's like, oh, this happened here. Yeah. And this is what happened here. It is the weirdest thing ever. But yeah, John, great guy to talk to. So we have a good, good, great show for you today. So you guys are going to love it. But let's get to headlines. All right, let's hop to that. First, here in domestic news, famed artist Andy Warhol's iconic portrait of the Hollywood diva was just sold for a record-breaking $195 million yesterday, becoming the most expensive piece of American art ever sold at auction. The auction house received the piece from Thomas and Doris Amon's charitable foundation in Zurich, which helps children. So that's nice. Uh, the sale was said to, quote, constitute the highest grossing philanthropic auction since the collection of Peggy and David Rockefeller back in 2018. That's according to Christie's chairman, Mark Porter. All proceeds from that sale will be donated to that fund. So that's nice. Rich people doing nice things, I guess. Then a high-powered Hollywood attorney, who we'll be talking about in greater detail later tomorrow, high-powered Hollywood mover and shaker attorney paid off over two million bucks of Hunter Biden's late taxes. That's according to the New York Post and a few other places. His name's Kevin Morris. He's an attorney best known for representing the co-creators of the animated satire series South Park in their $550 million licensing deal. He footed a tax bill for the son of POTUS and was more than twice what previously he had initially reported. So he's like, oh, I really helped him out a million bucks. But really, it turns out it was $2 million. So people are now calling Mr. Morris Hunter Biden's sugar bro. Sugar bro. 
this is a thing. You've heard of sugar daddies. This is a sugar bro. So he's ostensibly bankrolled 52-year-old Hunter Biden's rent and lifestyle out in sunny SoCal, my home state. Pays his daily expenses and helps him broker his own art deals, right? So Andy Warhol, look out. (laughs) Hunter Biden, half million bucks, which if he were not POTUS's son would probably go for 500 bucks, but I digress. The number of ultra-wealthy Americans purchasing so-called golden passports from other countries have soared since 2019, according to investment migration firms, which reportedly saw an uptick of 300% or more in individuals wishing to establish secondary citizenship abroad. Price tags range from a mere 100,000 bucks to 9.5 million, depending on the country. A growing number of tech entrepreneurs, celebrities, and other extremely wealthy individuals are using the so-called citizenship by investment. CIP programs to ensure a possible exit route if the U.S. hits a domestic situation that, you know, becomes untenable for the top 1% of this country. So they've got an exit ramp. Do you, Jamaro? Not like that. You getting a, a golden passport? Like, Not the, like that. Like a Swedish passport or something? <laughs> Not like that. Wow. Over to Finland where they have the saunas you like? Oh, love that. Actually, I would go to Portugal. Portugal. If I had to retire anywhere, it would be Portugal. I've I've enjoyed Spain. Have you? I love Spain. Interesting. If I was going to live abroad in a non-English speaking place, it would be that. Love Spain. Yeah. Countryside, the cities, love Spain. Uh, Speaking of, we're going international. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has come up with a rather strange way of marking the 77th anniversary of the Soviet victory over Nazi Germany by sharing online what appears to be an image of a soldier just kind of wearing, sporting, rocking the Nazi insignia. That's super weird. So even as Zelensky says on Telegram and Instagram, people gushing over it, uh, he says, fighting for a new victory on Victory Day over Nazism. The two posts that he made on social media featured a photo of a man in fatigues standing next to an artillery piece wearing what looks to be the insignia of the 3rd SS Panzer Division or the Totenkopf, an elite division of Nazi Germany's SS. But, you know, he's Jewish, so it doesn't mean what you think it means. There are no Nazis in Ukraine, Manila. Well, yeah, he's Jewish. There, there clearly are no Nazis Obviously. in Ukraine. He's just, you know, it's a coincidence that they're wearing a death head just insignia. Yeah. The sheer fact that he's Jewish is the answer. Um, the U.S. State Department has condemned the violence against protesters in Sri Lanka, stating that it was, they were closely following this ongoing development in South Asia. And they say, we condemn violence against peaceful protesters and call for a full investigation, arrests, and prosecutions of anyone involved. We are also concerned with the state of emergency declarations, which can be used to curb dissent. That is according to, as we were just speaking about, Ned Price, the State Department spokesman. And in Earth Science News, 
In a roughly 20-minute interview or so with the BBC, NASA's former chief scientist says he believes we will discover alien life in his lifetime. So likely in yours and mine too, Jamal. Jim Green spent over four decades working at NASA before retiring on January 1 of this year. During that time, he notes in the interview that NASA has greatly increased human understanding of the cosmos. Quote, We didn't understand superstorms. Now we do. We didn't understand much about dark energy, dark matter. Now we do. And we're on it. Jamarl says no. <laughs> they do Okay, fair enough. He follows this stuff. <laughs> but it's this greater understanding that will bring about the discovery, Mr. Green believes, of life outside our planet. Continuing, he says, Now we know there are more planets in our galaxy than there are stars, and many of them are in places much like the Earth, where we receive the light from the sun and we can have water in not only liquid form, but frozen and vapor forms. Those are important conditions we believe for life, and we are finding planets that have conditions where life may arrive. And in business news, the IRS has piled up millions of tax return applications that could be overdue. I'm raising my hand, I'm one of them. Forcing the Treasury to pay some extra for that delay. So a little bit of uh, interest. The agency has 45 days to process an application and delays entail interest payments. Starting from April 1, the interest rate for individual filers, which is tied to the Federal Reserve's benchmark rate, was raised from 3% to 4%. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. All this may lead to a substantial budget crunch as the IRS has a backlog of 9.6 million unprocessed returns. Count me in right there. And this day in history, back in 1497, Italian navigator Amerigo Vespucci leaves for his first voyage to the New World, although that has been disputed. In 1775, the Second Continental Congress convenes in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and issues paper currency for the first time. In 1801, First Barbary War, the Barbary pirates of Tripoli declare war on the United States of America. That was America's very first foreign war, folks. In 1957, Indian mutiny against rule by the British East India Company begins with the revolt of the Sepoy soldiers in Mirut. And speaking of the UK, 1940, Winston Churchill succeeds Neville Chamberlain as the new British Prime Minister. In 1960, the U.S. atomic submarine USS Triton completes the first submerged circumnavigation of the globe. And then in 1994, Nelson Mandela was sworn in as South Africa's very first black president. And that is going to do it for your headlines this Tuesday, May the 10th. You are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. There is one more headline that Uh-oh. I am fanboying Uh-oh. on. House panel to hold public hearings on unexplained aerial sightings. Now, if you remember, the National Defense Authorization Act 
um, they put in provisions that basically said, mandated these hearings, mandated the data release. They've been seeing images and data behind the scenes, not to mention videos, that are far more clear than the ones that we've gotten. And I'll just read the top part. A health subcommittee is scheduled to hold next week the first open congressional hearing on unidentified area vehicles in more than half a century with testimony from two top defense intelligence officials. The hearing has come after the release last June of a report requested by Congress on unidentified aerial phenomena. The nine-page preliminary assessment from the House of Director of National Intelligence, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, focused on 144 incidents dating back to only 2004 and was able to explain only one. No, able is a is a specific term. I think what they mean is that they are willing to explain. <laughs> well, you heard, like, there are plenty of um, senators and Congress members now who are openly disdainful of what they consider to be the Pentagon hiding information and not taking this seriously to the degree that they should. And if you think about it, we spend, what, nearly a trillion dollars a year for military. And you're telling us there's something in our skies that are besting our planes and our equipment? Not Whoa. only that. They're investing a gajillion dollars at the DOD, as we know. Right. Almost. I mean, we're, we're really treading very close to, like, a, the, trilli- the T mark. Yes. A trillion. Because we're, what, like 700 or 800 right. billion or I something? I mean, just, let's round number. up. Let's just round up. We're yeah. at a trillion bucks. Crazy, right? Yeah. Okay, with all that money, why don't we have better cameras on these supersonic jets that we have? Right? You have, like, this gajillion dollar jet. Mm-hmm. And then it has, like, the cheapest $20 camera that you buy at Best Buy. But see, I think it's what you said originally, that it's not about what they could explain. It's what they will explain. What are they willing to— yes. I think they do—they they put on those shoddy cameras on purpose. Well, I don't even think the, show shoddy, us. the cameras are shoddy. I think they just give us shoddy videos. I think it's that. Well, that like, too. That's been think, proven. That's been proven. Yeah, because if you think about it, the ship that was off the coast— I think it was off the coast of California. I can't think of the name of it right now. The, um, oh, what is the name of those ships? I used to know all of those names. But basically, the Queen Mary. No, no, that no, wasn't the Queen Mary. It was USS um, Naval ships when they were having those exercises and all of those reports were coming out. Well, they had people who were looking at those things for hours. And they would call, what is the Snoopy team or something like that? They would call the Snoopy team up and they would give it a view and they were looking at them and they were tracking them and everything else. And the images that Congress has are not those fuzzy images. They're saying that Congress is looking at clear images to the point where they were like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is like the they have the camera that they (laughs) air quotes get to see and the images that we Nimitz. Yeah. The Nimitz. Nimitz was one of them. We get to see. Which, by the way, the Queen Mary was a naval hospital ship during World War Two. So Mm -hmm. since we're talking about the World War Two era right now. That was actually one of the big um, hospital ships that are alleged to be haunted. Interesting. I had my high school prom on the Queen Mary. Mary. Did you see anything? Uh, I mean, I've been, I mean, it was a place you go to a lot as a kid. Uh Uh, But it's it's a little creepy. Is it? When you go into like the. Did you feel like a cold breeze go by? There's just, just no, I mean, if like me, I was like a little bit of a history nerd. Yeah. Surprise. uh, In high school, right? So. Hello, my birthday's on Pearl Harbor Day. Interesting. So I kind of took a fascination to World War II and uh, being aboard the Queen Mary. It's a obviously decommissioned ship and now it's, you know, like a tourist spot. But there's so many people that died. On that ship. On yeah. that ship. And so it's allegedly haunted. I can't say I've seen anything, but I can tell you it 
feels creepy, creepy, just knowing the, you know, the stories that those walls could tell. Yes. And the carnage of World War II. So, you Definitely know. Definitely creepy up. But there are, there is camera footage of, in the Queen Mary. Oh, that, of weird stuff? Of weird stuff. Oh, interesting. And the Queen Mary, those folks will show you the solid, you know, like, what is it? The 1080p? Yeah. Not like the stuff that Congress puts Oh, out I agree. Like really good video of weird right. and anomalous There's things. like ripples in the video uh-huh. or like ripples in the pool where there's nothing, like splashes in the pool. Yeah. Just creepy stuff. Have you ever heard of Skinwalker Ranch? Skin? Yeah, they call it Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker. So the Defense Intelligence Agency, so part of the way that all of this stuff took place for the UFO stuff was, A, Harry Reid wanted to get more information on it. But the Defense Intelligence Agency, (laughs) man, all right, so this is complicated. So there's ATIP, but there was also a larger program called ASOP or something to that effect. Um, that went beyond just the UFO thing. That went into ghosts. That went into poltergeist activity. And Skinwalker Ranch was basically the laboratory that they were using for it. And so Burt Bigelow used to own Skinwalker Ranch. And so he turned it into laboratory. He had like 50 workers. The Defense Intelligence um, Agency was basically working with him on it. They contacted him. They went to the ranch. And one of the guys from the DIA was there. And he could see something like materializing in midair. And he's like staring there looking at this like, oh, my God. Skinwalker Ranch had always been known to be like haunted and stuff like that. And so when they found that he's sitting there looking at this and he's walking out, he's like, so did you guys see anything weird? And they were like, um, people see weird stuff all the time. What did you see? And when the guy finally started to explain it, the defense intelligence agency started to investigate Skinwalker Ranch in order to determine whether or not there was the strange phenomena is some way related to like UFO phenomena and stuff like that. They were trying to find a combination between the two. The weird stuff that they were. So it wasn't in, ghostly to them. They thought it was it, interference from. They thought they didn't know. Their thought was that poltergeist behavior may mimic oh. UFO behavior. And oh. if there's a correlation between the two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The weird stuff they were experiencing stuff was following people home. There was that. You had video equipment where, like, they were doing tests, like, they would have videos pointed at each other. And even though one video would get unraveled, the other video wouldn't catch the footage. People were seeing weird stuff. They were feeling stuff. I mean, Skinwalker Ranch was radically creepy. It is one of the creepiest places. I mean, the name in and of itself is creepy. And well, when that's I used not to, the ori- or, or, original name for it. Or, or true name. It has something to do with like the Native dumb. American um, area or ground. But I... I, when I used to do the yeah, UFO stuff, like t-shirts. I would never even bring it up. That's how weird it was. It was like, because it was like, all right, UFOs are weird enough. I'm not touching that. <laughs> it's that like, I'm particular not, place. Yes. It is just too weird. I've never looked it up. I got to look that up. Oh, look that up. They, they even have a documentary on it, um, Skinwalker Ranch, that's on TV now. But if you look at the reporting on it, they have all sorts of reporting and everything else on it. In fact, when the New York Times came out with the original story, I think they even reported it. Then, Popular Mechanics also. No when they came out with their story, bought it up also. It is a creepy, creepy, creepy place. See, I gear up in the springtime for Halloween. Yeah. So I can have an overload of scary, creepy things oh, to research this is it. and look up. They even got the book I on it. I don't know that one. So I gotta check that one out. Like all kinds of, you know, local stories from where I grew up in Whittier, California. Yeah. Um, haunted old Quaker town, all kinds of scary stories there. Things people have witnessed, uh-huh. things I've witnessed. Yeah, just that it's a scary town. And I think in like 
America's list of top 100 haunted places or whatever. Yeah. My town is one of them. Is it? How about that? Ghost in Whittier. Interesting. Yeah, so that's... I'm always fascinated about this stuff. I used to have very bizarre experiences when I was a kid, so this stuff... But Skinwalker Ranch freaked me out. <laughs> very, very few places do. Weird that I don't know that but one. But reading through it, oh man, especially when you're getting like governmental sources who are basically talking about their experiences. Oh, it is so weird. They, they were Bigelow eventually sold the place. He got so frustrated because he was like, something is screwing with us. Because keep in mind, they're doing this as a lab experiment. They're looking. Their thought is, we found a haunted place that we can experiment. Can on. you really lab experiment poltergeist? No, they weren't able to. I mean, they, they did one experiment after the next. They were trying to find all of the stuff. And it seemed as if some intelligence was intentionally screwing with the test results and screwing with them as they went about the test results. Bigelow gets sick of it. He gets angry. He's like, screw this. <laughs> screw this. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. And then sold the place. But a, a lot of this stuff started with that. Interesting. Like These are governmental people from these alphabet soup agencies that are going to these places and studying this stuff. This is very weird stuff, but definitely look it up. I, like I said, when I was on Political Misfits, I didn't even bring it up because it was so weird. I was like, this is too weird to bring up. That's See, just stick I, with I UFOs. I love all this stuff. I don't, because I don't, I'm not a non-believer, but I'm not a true believer either. Yeah. I'm, I, I want some way or another to be proven one way in one direction yeah. or the other. Like either it exists or it doesn't. I had a friend of mine. So I'm open to it. That I work with where he was like, I think the guy's name was John. And John was like, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. I was like, okay, fair enough. And then invariably, well, there was one time. Ah! And it never, it never failed. Oh, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in that stuff. You have like psychologists like, I don't believe in aliens. And so I didn't look when all of the people went to the window to see the UFO <laughs> because I don't believe in those things. It's right. like, dude, are you serious? John's case, he said he was helping a friend move. As he was helping the friend move, he sees a woman walk upstairs. And he's like, okay, there's not supposed to be anybody here. He follows her upstairs, follows into the room, and there's nobody there. I said, John, you saw ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. Okay, right. what was it, John? I don't know what it was. Are you insane? No. Do you typically hallucinate? No. So what do you think it was? I don't know. You saw ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. Like, okay, dude. Okay, can I take this, <laughs> can I take this conversation and tie it directly to what's happening today in Ukraine is that people see what they want to see. Yes. Including with this Zelensky post on social media, uh, you know, with the Nazi insignias and stuff. And and it's like a Rorschach test. Like, what do you see there? I I just see a Jewish president posting a picture (laughs) of a soldier. And some you ask somebody else and they're like, whoa, that, soldier has Nazi insignia all over it. So it's a Rorschach test of like, okay, where do you fall? And and you believe what you want. But see, in the first case, it's an honest bias. In the second case, it is a manufactured and carried narrative. And so it's like after spending, what, three months, there are no Nazis in Ukraine. Well, it doesn't matter if it's it's manufactured or not. It's the fact that people in this country are divided on this matter. Yeah. By, like, either willful ignorance, it just, like, just because you close your ears and eyes and say, la, 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 doesn't mean something isn't actually happening. That's true. And that's a lot of people here in the U.S. Yeah. Just like a lot of people in the U.S. are somehow in support of President Biden, him throwing our money into this 
money pit yes. that is Ukraine and then bringing in some scary Poppins lady to sing <laughs> our way through truth. And like, if you're on board with that, I don't even, I don't understand. Like, It's unhinged. You're, you're willfully choosing to close your eyes and ears to facts on the ground yes. that might disprove what you wish to believe. Yes. And so this is how all that ties into like the Rorschach tests, what you choose to see, your psychological blind spots. There's, there are things, you know, in, in your, it's called, you know, the blind spots in the mind. Just yeah. like when you're a kid, have you ever had like your mom say, you're at the dinner table and mom says, Jamal, can you go get me the pepper? Can, can you fetch the pepper? Or something like that. Fetch something from the refrigerator. My mom never did that. Oh, my God. Jamal. <laughs> so your parents, everybody else, everybody else that has a household where your parents like, hey, kid, I forgot something. Go to the refrigerator. Go to the pantry. Go, whatever. Go get pepper. Yeah. And you're, you know, I got to get pepper. Yeah. You open the pantry and you're like, the cabinet's... Um, pepper. The pepper is right in front of your face. Yeah. Right. And you know you're looking for pepper. Yeah. They say if it's snake, it would have bit me. But you're right. But your eyes are looking. Well, that's the salt. That's vinegar. That's and yeah. the pepper's right there. That is called a psychological blind spot. Is that your your mind chooses to block it out for whatever reason? Even writing, if you notice, like when you're writing something and you make a spelling error and you read over the document, over you don't see the spelling over. error. Yeah. That's why you need a proofreader. Yeah. Yeah. Same reason. These are psychological blind spots. So we're having a massive psychological blind spot in across America. Because if you're not frightened by this Nina Jankowitz lady, young woman, I should say, she's only 33 years old, who came out of nowhere. Yeah. Who is, you know, now a political appointee at 33 years old. Well, now she's saying that liberals are the ones that get silenced. On social media. Again, she does the reverse. Yeah, okay. it's so unhinged. It's gaslighting, it's projection, and and it is, she's, people like her are causing these psychological blind spots in the U.S. where people are unwilling, like I, like I said earlier, I'm willing to see both sides of the argument. Do ghosts exist? Yeah. Do aliens exist? Prove to me solidly one way or the other. See, so right? I'm, I'm agnostic on it. Like, yeah. show me yeah. one way or the other. She, Nina Jankowitz, is like... Oh, she the, don't care about reality. The new pastor of psychosis. Yeah. <laughs> She's preaching it. She's preaching this like... Scary Poppins. Scary Poppins is preaching mass psychosis of ignoring facts on the ground. And, hey, this is the narrative. Joe Biden is wonderful. And everything's great. Like, that's what she's telling us. Ignore what you see. Ignore that your pocketbooks are hurting. Ignore that gas is like $100 a gallon. Actually, on that note, $110 a gallon. And, you know, to make this— Are we at 110 per we're barrel? We're at 110 per barrel. Not a gallon, thank you, right, per no, barrel. I'm joke. I was joking, hyperbolically. No, but, you're, but you're— Pretty damn close. Dead on. And so, just to make that point, and it's no point in going to the monologue at this point, but I will say this— um, there were a few events that took place. Ukraine failed to take um, Allen. And as you said, President Zelensky congratulates Ukraine on V-Day over Nazism, featuring a soldier who's wearing a deadhead symbol. Um, the elite Nazi division of the Waffen-SS during World War II. That is massively ass backwards. But again, 
and so is, you know, the, the war in general. Biden is signing the Lend-Lease bill, meaning Congress passed it. Biden has just signed it. And think about what that means. This is basically the precursor to us getting into the Second World War. FDR was basically arming those nations. And Biden, at this point, has become a belligerent. It's hard for me to understand how the U.S. is in this war indirectly. This is direct. And, you know, this comes from even that bastion of Russian propaganda, Thomas Friedman at the New York Times, who said, quote, the staggering takeaway from the leaks is that they suggest we are no longer in an indirect war with Russia, but rather are doing edging towards a direct war. And no one has prepared the American people or Congress for that reality. He continues, Vladimir Putin surely has no illusions about how much the United States and NATO are arming Ukraine with materials and intelligence. But when American officials start to brag in public about playing a role in killing Russian generals, sinking Russian flagships, killing many Russian sailors, we could be creating an opening for Putin to respond in a way that could dangerously widen this conflict and drag the U.S. deeper than it wants to be. Thomas Friedman, Russian plant, is saying what I've been saying for weeks, for weeks. And the media? Blissfully unaware. No, no. Blind spot. They're choosing, they're willfully choosing not to see it. And you know what? We had a sitting congressman, uh, Seth Moulton from Massachusetts, who was on, I forget if it was like one of the MSNBC shows. I thought it was Fox, where he basically said this is a proxy war. I think he went on MSNBC. It was something friendly. Okay. And that, they didn't push him. Because if he was on Fox, they would have pushed him and just bit his head off with that. I think it was before. MSNBC. Well, uh, the one I saw was, if it's what I'm thinking you're talking about, this one was on Fox. But he was, he was a guest. Because it was with Brett Baer when I saw it. He was a guest on one of the Sunday talks mm-hmm. on, on MS or a friendly. Maybe mm-hmm. it was CNN. But he specifically said this, it, the U.S. is effectively in a proxy war. Brett Baer. With that was with Brett Baer. With Russia. Yeah. He's right. I mean, maybe he said it more than once. How could he? Yeah, and if, and if, he might have been making the rounds. And if, right. And, and if he was on with Brett Baer and Brett is supposedly, you know, supposed to be at the conservative network at mm-hmm. Fox, for if he didn't push back, that just shows you the media complicity on both sides to mire the U.S. in another Across forever the board. war. That's right. I mean, Lindsey Graham comes out. Miss Graham. Let's take Putin out. You and say there's great. no off-ramp to this war. Also continue a no-fly zone. We can win this war on behalf of Ukraine, he adds. And Wall Street Journal comes out, we need to show Putin that we can win a nuclear war. But this is the stuff that's coming out of this country. And by the way— Lindsey Graham is sassy. He's sassy. He's very <laughs> sassy. That's what I said, Ms. Graham. Um, and I'll read this part. And to make it even worse and how deeply immoral this is, like you said, gas, $110 a barrel— um, food prices going through the roof. They've been talking about famine. The German economy has been getting hit from the standpoint of manufacturing Ignore and economics. Tomorrow. The UK, Bank of England has come out saying we are on the brink of a recession. Ignore that As it too. hits 10%. And listen to this part. According to Ukrainista Pravda, sources close to Zelensky, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, who appeared in the capital almost without warning, were two simple messages. First, that Putin is a war criminal, he should be pressured, not negotiated with. And the second is that even if Ukraine is ready to sign some agreements on guarantees with Putin, they are not. We are exactly. not for any kind of peace deal. Yes. They continue. Johnson's position was that the collective West, which is back in February, had suggest- suggested that Zelensky should surrender and flee, now felt that Putin was not really as powerful as they had previously imagined and that there was a chance to press him. Three days after Johnson left for Britain, Putin went public and says talks with Ukraine, quote, had turned into a dead 
end unquote. And Zelensky ends up getting that's Biden it. saying $30 billion. So that's it. your domestic populations are getting slaughtered economically. The majority of the country in the United States, what, $600, I think 60% don't have six dollars $500 in the bank. Correct. And in the context of that, you are creating, A, a provocation to create this conflict in the first place. And on top of that, whereas Zelensky was like, he's open to peace overtures, you basically tell him, no, we're not. No, kiddo. No, kiddo. Turn around. That's right. Turn around, little boy. We're not going to go with the peace overtures. You're going to cut that out. Unless you want help from us, you're not going to get that help. That's what the big boys, that's what Bojo. Yes. That's what Brandon is saying. Yeah, right. Let's go, Brandon. Is, is not, it is not. The, We're not ready, The bro. collective West does not have peace or life-sustaining nope. exit ramps nope. for the Ukrainian people at heart. What they truly have at heart is, they said the, that part out loud, weaken Russia. Yes. And so if that is ultimately the West's goal is to weaken Russia, that will ultimately, folks, we were quagmired in Afghanistan for 20 years. This is our next quagmire where we're going to pour billions and billions and billions more dollars for the next X amount of years, as Zelensky accidentally said, 10 years. Um, We're going to be in a quagmire again for the next decade in attempting to quagmire and weaken Russia. We will quagmire ourselves, shoot ourselves in the foot. And you're... But we're willing to risk all of that as long as Russia gets weakened. So it's like, okay, I'm going to try to burn down your house, even though I'm your neighbor and your fire can probably catch my fire. And you know what's my house. These people who are doing this are insulated from that. Right. Meaning they themselves, yes, they the themselves politicians. are insulated. Yes. The policy makers and the people who are choosing these policies are insulated. The UK, I mean, I'm sorry, Europe, $5 billion per month. They're talking about getting... As an allowance? They're, yeah, they're talking about basically paying Ukraine's bills for the next several months. This is a conversation they're basically having. And again... Sugar bro. Sugar bro. They're sugar bro. Sugar bro. And so it's like, so your poor populations are getting hit magnificently. I mean, there was even polling out talking today, and we need to go to Elijah. But there was polling out even today talking about how most of the public or a lot of the public feels insecure and that that insecurity is only getting worse, that they have difficulties paying their bills. They have fears, especially among the poor, where it's like 70-something percent had fears about whether or not they were going to even be able to cover their expenses. And so while you are trying to give $30 billion to basically a losing war that you are not allowing to stop, that you are keeping this war going, and it's like, and now you're signing this lend lease thing. How's Ukraine going to pay that back? You know they can't. If Europe is giving all of this money to basically keep them going for months on end, how does the U.S. believe that they're going to? It's a p- we should note it's only been two months, two months of this conflict, right? That's it. Already, in terms of what the United States has, let's just call it donated because we ain't getting it back. In terms of what the U.S. has given Ukraine, in just two short months, Ukraine has already ranked as the fourth most biggest receiver of U.S. We'll call it gifts. Yeah. In history, Jamaro, in history. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, Disturbed. (laughs) This is massively unfortunate. The American public should be apoplectic. And we're going to have this conversation with Elijah Magnier. Back in a moment. 
lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys live in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. I want to go to a story that basically came out. I guess this was over the weekend, and it bubbled up to the surface, I guess, on Monday. And it has to do with a failed attempt to retake Snake Island and all sorts of casualties, um, not to mention loss of materials that were involved with the Ukrainian military um, failing in doing so. Not to mention Papanaya that apparently went under Russian control. And this was, of course, taking place just before Victory Day. There's also the claims by the West that Russia was going to announce a full mobilization that they just swept under the rug when we kept saying this is utterly ridiculous, even from a political standpoint. Swept it under the rug, kept it moving. So let's have a conversation with the one and only Elijah Magnier about this and other issues that are taking place in Europe, especially this notion that Europe is talking about paying for Ukraine for the next several months. We're joined with Elijah Magnier. He's a veteran war correspondent. You can find his reporting on ElijahJM.wordpress. Elijah, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? Hello. I'm really glad to be with you again. Thank you. I'm very well. Thank you. Excellent. So I want to get into some of the things that were taking place over the weekend leading into today, especially the military moves that seem to be taking place in the East. Um, regardless of the propaganda that has been coming out from the standpoint of the West, they've basically been running with whatever Ukraine says. Few things on the ground seem to be true, especially some of the reporting coming out of, well, at this point, even some Western publications. But there was an attack on Snake Island that it seems that the Ukrainians had been baited into, and they did took severe losses in pursuit of that attack. Can you give us a little bit of background on this and what was taking place around this particular battle? The war in Ukraine is going completely differently from what we see in mainstream media because there is a complete shutdown on what is happening to the Ukrainian army and how the uh, Donbass separatists are advancing in the area of Donbass. And um, we hear very little about uh, how the Ukrainians are losing more troops and how their uh, um, ammunition and weapons warehouses are destroyed because we don't want to hear what Russia is doing and how its long-range missiles are destroying the European and, above all, the American uh, uh, weapons that are coming to Ukraine. When we hear from the Americans saying, we have done our share, we delivered the weapons, and we're no longer responsible where these weapons go, when it is not true, where, because the Americans confirmed through the U.S. ambassador in the U.N. that they are offering intelligence. There is uh, military support on large scale, on all scales. And then the, secretary, the U.S. Secretary of Defense told us that there is an operational room 
in Germany organizing not only the delivery, but also providing intelligence information to the Ukrainian, telling them what to hit, what kind of weapons to use, and how they can support the war. So basically what we know now that the Donbass area is almost 80% of it in the hand of the Ukrainian separatists, we know that uh, Mariupol is agonizing in the last uh, stronghold under the ground in the steel factory in uh, uh, Azov steel uh, area. That is a very small, narrow, tiny place uh, in Mariupol. We know that the uh, access to the sea is denied to the Ukrainian. We know that there are hundreds, uh, there are tens of uh, thousands of uh, Ukrainian killed and the POW and wounded in this war that nobody is talking about, but we uh, have this information from time to time from some Ukrainians who try to uh, speak up and say, well, look, this is what we are losing and this war cannot continue in this way. What we hear a lot about is how how Europe is uh, uh, giving reassurances to the Ukrainians to continue the war, saying we are going to rebuild your country. Now, this is all what the Ukrainian uh, diplomats and officials want the Ukrainian population to hear, that the West has been compromised uh, and has given us its word that is going to rebuild the country. So we have to stick with our line uh, of narrative that we are going to be in the Western arms notwithstanding the loss of uh, men uh, in the battlefield and the destruction of the infrastructure, that there is very little information coming out. Normally, this is what happened. The real information comes out only after the end of the war, when the size of the damage is obvious, and then the Ukrainian will say, well, why the hell we continue this war for if we are going to sit around the table after five, six, seven, eight months and sign exactly the same deal that we were asked to sign in the first place from the very beginning of the war. This is where uh, Ukrainian officials start falling uh, like flies and then they have little answer to give, particularly when they are faced with the reality that Europe is not going to construct Ukraine, cannot do that. After a war, a country needs always between 100 to 300 billion uh, euros or dollars to be reconstructed and brought back to the, the day before the war. So can we imagine who's going to take out all this money? The only country that can take out a large amount of money is the American, but only to invest in weapons, but not in the reconstruction. And we've seen how the Europeans are very shy in offering money to the Ukrainian, but were forced to do that when they said we're going to pay 6.5 billion euros, when Ukraine said we need 7 billions every month. So we have 27 European countries saying that everything we can do now in our power is to give 6.5 billion because they have a kind of a a revolver on their head uh, from the Americans saying you have to give hope to the Ukrainian that you're going to intervene and reconstruct the country so they can continue destroying it with the war against Russia. Elijah, you know, with uh, Boris Johnson's recent visit there, 
um, surprise unannounced visit to Ukraine, there were parts that he said out loud that maybe he should have thought better, thought through before he said them. One of them was basically he told Volodymyr Zelensky that, no, no, peace is off the table. We will continue with this. We will continue to supply you as needed, as you've just discussed with the money, with the arms. So my question to you is, with as much as the West has denied using Ukraine as a cudgel against Russia, denied that Ukraine is a vassal state, a, a, a client state to NATO, by, by Boris Johnson admitting this out loud, doesn't that prove what Vladimir Putin has said all along, that the West was using Ukraine to poke the bear? Okay, I'm going to share with you something that I was told by a very high European officials uh, just a couple of days ago and said, please don't write it. But he never said that I can't. <laughs> so basically what he said, um, look, we know what's happening in Ukraine. We know that it's a mess and we have contributed to this mess because there is a American dominance and colonialism exerted over Europe that we cannot do anything about. Now, and he's talking here, he said we have two choices. First, to continue supporting the U.S. and do whatever they tell us to do. And sometimes, this is what he's saying, they give us a paper telling us what we need to do without even saying from where this paper comes from, that we present to officials who tell us, go and do it, I don't want a headache, do what the Americans are telling you. And what, they are, what the European reasoning is, that now we support the Americans in everything they are doing and saying because we don't have any other choice. Even if we are convinced that we have triggered this war but not from today, from 2008, during the NATO summit, when we accepted uh, Croatia and other countries to join in, uh, and we said that we are going to include Ukraine and Georgia. And we gave advices to the U.S. administration at that time that that will trigger a Russian reaction, exactly what President Putin said in the Munich conference in 2007, which is a year before. And they said, this is not our policy. We want to make sure that Russia is not going to stand strong and then start claiming its share in the dominance of the world. So as European, and he's saying here, we can only accept the U.S. Uh, instructions. And if the U.S. fails after a year, two, five, ten, and then there is another superpower that comes up, or the U.S. unilateralism ends. Everybody needs European money because we are good customers. And in politics, people don't look of, of, to what we have done and in which position we have taken if we have good money to buy oil and gas and minerals and this and that from uh, the country that we have uh, considered 
like uh, an enemy like Russia today, which is not our enemy because we have President Macron who is leading with uh, Chancellor Schulz from time to time releasing positive uh, messages to Russia saying, you're not our enemy, but this is what we have to do now. Now, can you imagine that everything that we think and we thought about analyzing, we hear it from the European official saying, look, we're not stupid, we know what's going on, but this is what we can say now, and this is the policy that we can take. Now, President Putin is not stupid. He can see and hear exactly what we see and hear here in Brussels or whatever is happening, because we know how the event unfolded. It started in 1990 when the Americans failed to respect their promises that NATO is not going to expand. 1999, NATO expanded from 12 to increase four extra um, countries from the Warsaw Pact because Russia was weak and was rebuilding itself. In 2007, when Russia, when President Putin went to Munich, which is an extremely important uh, talk he delivered in the presence of the U.S. Secretary of Defense at that time, uh, that was a major change in the U.S. perception of how weak was Russia when Russia said, I am no longer weak, I can start raising my voice. And then in 2015, the presence of Russia in Syria, spoiling NATO's plans to create a failed state, that created the most dangerous and serious alarm to NATO and to the U.S. that Russia is back on the international arena and can really spoil the U.S. plans. Elijah, you uh, you make it sound like much of the world is the hostage of the United States. <laughs> but it is. I mean, tell me, do you think any of the European countries are coming out with these brilliant ideas that are so stupid to prevent Russians from <laughs> buying properties in Europe or to prevent the Russian airline from flying over the European continent? I mean, this is, these are ridiculous decisions when we prevent Tchaikovsky and we prevent uh, a music and cultural event because they are Russian to be, to be uh, exhibited in our continent. I mean, it's a very childish decision. Well, it is childish, but more to the point, I, the economic havoc is the thing that kind of jumps out at me more than anything else. Gas. Or oil goes to a hundred and what ten dollars a barrel in the United States. That's like five bucks basically um, for anybody that's going to get gas in this country. And in Europe, of course, you guys pay more for that. And so it's like your domestic economies are basically being hit. The European Union is supposed to be an economic, um, uh, not necessarily a cartel, but an economic union. And so it's like within the context of this economic union, they are making choices and decisions that are adversely affecting the economics of the countries within the context of that union. And then to make that even worse, right here, the European Commission is planning to issue new EU debt to cover Ukraine's short-term financing needs over the next three months, estimated at $15 billion, three diplomats with knowledge of the discussions told Politico. If these guys are indeed being held hostage in this way, certainly they know 
how bad this can go, not just economically, but also militarily. I mean, like Joe Biden just signed Lend-Lease bill. Lend-Lease was this kind of precursor to getting us into the Second World War. Are they aware of that? I mean, they, have they just really accepted in order to be the vassal states of Europe and to show how complicit or compliant they are to America, that they're willing to let their own local and domestic populations get hit economically, not to mention itch ourselves to the brink of oblivion? Have they really internalized and accepted the gravity and ramifications of that? Well, when you, ha- when you are under the dominance of a superpower, and you are colonized by a superpower, you really don't have any will. So I'll give you more than that. We hear Putin all the time saying, because of the war on Ukraine, the Russian war on Ukraine, the prices are increasing, the inflation is this and that. Actually, it is not the reality. The reality are the sanctions that the US and Europe impose on Ukraine And it is uh, having a very strong and harsh boomerang effect. On the the other hand, we have Russia that has nearly doubled its revenue from selling the fossil fuels to the EU during the last two months of the war because the prices went up. So instead of receiving 62 billion uh, euro from exporting oil and gas and coal, uh, in the last two months, they have received the double of this amount only because the price of oil and gas had gone up. And then we hear the Americans saying, because Putin's war. No, because you imposed all these uh, sanctions and we are imposing sanctions on ourselves in the first place. The ruble has increased in uh, value, uh, is uh, recovered uh, dramatically and uh, went even beyond the price that it was in the last two years, not two months. And then we have the uh, central bank, the Russian central bank, with its asset around $350 billion or euro frozen uh, abroad in Western banks. And yet the Russian economy is boosting and our economy is really going uh, down in in the will. So what are we doing to ourselves is because we don't have any uh, any decision we can abide by or we can raise in front of the Americans saying, well, look, you are destroying your our economy, which is exactly what the Americans are doing. First, to separate Europe from Russia. Second, for Europe to become poorer. And now we have Italy, we have France, we have every single European country saying you have to accept that the inflation is going to hit a record high in the next month. So they are telling us what you are seeing today in the month of May is still nothing of what you're going to see in the month of June and July. European Central Bank cannot reassure us. He's saying the prices are increasing and the Eurozone is close to reaching the peak inflation. This is what we are told. But what are the reasons? The reason is NATO expansion, because the U.S. wanted Russia to choose between either to go to war against Ukraine or allow Ukraine to become a NATO country and have a U.S. nuclear weapons base in Ukraine and later on in Georgia, and then really surround uh, Russia with nuclear weapons, 
which already we have 150 on the con- on the European continent that are controlled by the Americans and directly toward Russia. So when I hear the Australian saying that the deal, the security pact between China and the Solomon Island that is 2,000 kilometers away from Australia is jeopardizing the security of Australia, and the Americans saying exactly the same, that on 9,800 kilometers from the Solomon Island, we wonder what is then the origin of this war if you don't consider that is valid also for Russia. Well, the answer is what is valid for us is not valid for others. Now, Elijah, I don't know if you can answer this next one real briefly, but do you think it's an unintended consequence that the way the EU and NATO and U.S.-led, obviously, is are they accidentally damaging the EU economy? Accidentally? Or do you think that's also by design from the U.S.? When Hungary and Slovakia are saying we cannot survive without the uh, Russian gas and we do not accept to impose sanctions on Russia, and then we have Joseph Borrell, the foreign minister of the European Commission, saying that then we have to meet and take a political decision violating the EU rule of the 27 states that when one country said no to something the law cannot go through, it is an intended uh, consequence and an intended plan to really have no choice but to abide by the what the U.S. are saying and to consider Russia as an enemy and break more the European economy, but not the Russian one. Elijah, always, man, appreciate these conversations. Yeah, always appreciate these conversations. Elijah Magne, he's a veteran war correspondent. You can find his reporting on ElijahJM.wordpress.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at E-J-M-A-L-R-A-I and find his reporting on his website, as we said before, Elijah.com. I'm sorry, ElijahJM.wordpress.com. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And then somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Right on. Always love Elijah. And in fact, I always love the foreign policy conversations in yes. general. Um, it's something about this kind of world as a chessboard and the way that these guys behave. It is aggravating on some level just because of the damage that could be done as a result of either miscalculations or, for that matter, intentional actions. They're not miscalculations. Right, exactly. Let me just say that. Yeah. Well, I sometimes. I should have preempted the question I asked Elijah because I don't believe in coincidences or Accidents, yeah. Especially when it comes to the way they the, act, the U.S. government. I believe they in them. I just don't trust them. I, at this point, these are very well thought out manipulations. Ah, oh, the well thought out part is the part. Even if it looks like like a dumb accident or dumb luck, it, I don't believe that it was. I think these guys are incompetent, and I think these guys have a certain framing and a view of the world that 
they just have massive blind spots. Like for example, the economic. You're nice. That the economic war. Incompetence means innocent. No, it doesn't. I mean, no, it doesn't. most of the time, people if, if people are incompetent, they usually screw up not because they're malicious. Well, let me be specific. The economic war. Did they foresee that Russia was going to basically use gas as a tool in order to push back against the economic war? I think that one was dumb. But that's, I that's but, one point. But I think somebody else somewhere in there knew. See, I think maybe necessarily it's not only to weaken Russia. Mm-hmm. That was the guys. You're also Europe. Because that's I think the they're looking at it as this splitting apart, this dis- you know right. decoupling of the world in certain respects. Right. I have a feeling the probably going back to the World War II era. Again, we are in World War II week. Yeah. Um, of the defeat, obviously, of Nazi Germany. So I think going way back to the whole Truman era, the FDR era, the going way back, I think there was always a concern by these United States that the European countries would recover one day of from course. this great world war and that they would band together. And you started hearing Emmanuel Macron a couple of years ago talking about, you know, forming military. a separate yeah. military that's not NATO because the U.S. is part of that. He says a separate European joint military. And of course, the U.S. is like, that's a non-starter right. And I think somewhere at, deep in the halls of the DOD, somebody went, no, no. I, I no, agree nobody. With, I agree with you that they probably, clearly they didn't want that. So I agree with you on that. Full spectrum dominance, yes, agree. That that has a hegemony certain... Hegemony is the goal. Yeah, hegemony is the goal. This kind of world Even if, if your friends direction. start. Well, yeah, you don't... That's Doesn't less matter. important to you than your placement in the world and stabilizing that placement in the That'd world. That'd be number one. Agree with that. That'd be number one. Um, however, I don't think these guys are as smart as that would insinuate. If anything, I think many times they are incompetent. And so it's like, yeah, I think they have their plans and machinations. For example, um, Brzezinski. No, it's Brzezinski. Yeah, Brzezinski. Um, Mika Brzezinski. Mika, yeah. Mika's Brzezinski. dad. Yeah, his, her dad. Um, come up with this plan. Let's bleed Russia. Let's give them their own big Vietnam. New, big new Brzezinski. Yeah. And then you get these guys who are basically the Mujahideen, who become yeah. Al-Qaeda, etc. And it's like, did he predict that part? No. Did he predict the first part of, yeah, we could drag Russia into their Vietnam? Right. Yes. Yes. So it's like their blowback and their consequences that these guys don't entirely foresee, but they're willing to accept even unforeseen. And so, you know, it's like trying to figure out, okay, are these guys just clowns on some of this stuff or are they just these master planners? And I don't believe they're... Do you honestly believe Joe Biden is a master planner? No. I'm just going to use the late, great Donald Rumsfeld's There are known unknowns (laughs) and unknown unknowns, Jamaro, okay? Known unknowns and unknown unknowns. So you got to leave it at that, buddy. There's unknown unknowns. Yeah, unknown unknowns. Let's get to the headlines. (laughs) Unknown unknowns. Man, I forgot that speech. That's such a a good one. I mean, good satirically. Joe Biden is making these guys look like they were brain, you know, the brain trust. When they say stuff like known unknowns and unknown unknowns, you... It makes you like double take. Like, like wait, what? wait, did I hear that right? Am I is my brain process? No, you heard it right. What? You heard it right. It's These people meant, got a million people killed. Right. It's meant to get you confused like that. Yes, that was the whole point. Or he's just not bright. Oh, Romy was smart. He got what he wanted. He got the twenty-year war. He got the twenty-year war. He also got a million innocent people killed. You don't think he, he was? He I don't think he was. I, mean, I don't think on. he was trying to get a million Iraqis killed. Okay, I mean, just five hundred thousand. 
Well, that was Albright. He bested her. Right, she, well, she was going for kids. Right, right. She was going she to kill was, kids. Maddie just wanted the kids to die. This Come stuff on. is dark, man. This, this stuff is very yeah, dark. I know. We have. I mean, there's nothing you can do, or else you'd sit here like sobbing and crying over the travesty that is the U.S. government and and the deep state ambitions of global hegemony. We would be sitting here crying if we weren't being snarky. <laughs> you have to be snarky, or else literally we'd sit here in tears. Looking at the starvation and uh, like, look at Yemen. Look I at get Afghanistan. Less wet. You I get more cry. angry. I, I would cry. I would just like lose. I mean, maybe it's like the new mom hormones are wearing off. Because <laughs> let me tell you, after I had the baby, and like the whole Yemen thing. This is in yeah. 2018. I was literally in tears before every broadcast because I would see these, you know, fresh videos coming through my feed of the AP of like starving Yemeni children, and 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 I looked at my son. And I would cry and I would think, how is it that my child is blessed to have a roof over his head, no bombs random. flying overhead. Just random. And and food in his belly. I'm safe. I'm able to have nutrition to chest feed my child. That's the thing. That's they call it chest feed now. Breastfeed. I know. They call it chest feed. I don't know. I don't I, I, I don't, don't care know. what those people That's do. They it's called it. breastfeeding. But the, right, but this is Merry the Christmas. Whole, right. Yeah. And Merry Christmas. The whole point was I you know, would look at my son and these new hormones of being a mother, this new experience of being a mother overwhelmed me looking at pictures of these children in Yemen where I'm like, why does this child have nothing and my child has everything? And I don't think that happens here in Washington. I don't think people have that empathy. And that's the sad part is we elect these people that seem soulless and and gutless. Sociopaths. Sociopaths. Narcissists. We talked about that before the show. I think they're sociopaths, personally. I mean, narcissists, yeah. Well, I guess all, all sociopaths are narcissists, not all sociopaths, right. et cetera. Let's get the headlines. That's right. In the news, Andy Warhol's iconic portrait of the Hollywood diva was sold for a record-breaking $195 million on Monday, becoming the most expensive piece of American art ever sold at an auction. The auction house received the art piece from Thomas and Doris Amon Charitable Foundation in Zurich, which helps children. The sale was said, quote, constitute the highest grossing philanthropic auction since the collection of Peggy and David Rockefeller in 2018, unquote. According to Christie's chairman, Mark Porter, all proceeds from the sale would be donated to the fund. In other news, a high-powered Hollywood attorney paid off two million of Hunter Biden's overdue taxes the New York Post reported Kevin Morris, an attorney known for representing the co-creator of the animated satire series South Park and their $550 million licensing deal, footed a tax bill for the son of the current POTUS that was more than twice what was previously reported, according to sources cited by the Post. Furthermore, Morris dubbed Hunter Biden's legacy sugar brother by insiders as ostensibly been bankrolling the 52-year-old's rent and daily expenses besides helping him structure sales of his artwork. We are talking about a grown man. A grown man. Sometimes people forget, but he is a grown man. The number of ultra-wealthy Americans purchasing a, quote, golden passport, unquote, from other countries has soared since 2019, according to the investment migration firms, which reportedly saw an uptick of 300% or more and individuals wishing to establish secondary citizenship abroad. For a price tag that ranges from 100000 to $9.5 million, 
Depending upon the country, a growing number of tech entrepreneurs, celebrities, and other extremely wealthy individuals are using so-called citizenship by investment programs to ensure a possible exit route from the United States if domestic situation continues to worsen. The rich are seeing the writing on the wall. Thank you for all of the cash I was able to get from your country. Now it is time for me to leave. In international news, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has come up with a rather strange way of marking the 77th anniversary of the victory over Nazi Germany by sharing online what appears to be an image of a soldier sporting a Nazi insignia. Even as Zelensky on Instagram and Telegram gushed over, quote, fighting for a new victory, unquote, on a day of victory over Nazism, the two posts made on these social networks featured a photo of a man in fatigue standing next to an artillery piece and wearing what looks like the insignia of the 3rd SS Panzer Division, Tokenkopf, an elite division of Nazi Germany's Waffen-SS. And again, how ass-backwards is that? You are basically talking about Victory Day, the day in which the Nazis were defeated by the Soviet Union with the help of other states. And on that day that the Nazis were defeated, that you are basically commemorating, you are doing so with a guy wearing a Nazi insignia, clear as day for anybody to see. But there are no new Nazis in Ukraine, Jamal. There are no Nazis in Ukraine. Sure they're not. The U.S. State Department has condemned the violence against protesters in Sri Lanka, stating that it was, quote, closely following, unquote, the ongoing developments in the South Asian nation. Quote, we condemn violence against peaceful protesters and call for full investigations, arrests, and prosecutions of anyone involved. We are also concerned with the state of emergency declarations, which can be used to curb dissent. Unquote. State Department spokesman Ned Price said in a briefing. In Earth and Science News, in a roughly 20-minute interview with the BBC's Hard Talk, NASA's former chief scientist said he believed that we would discover alien life in this lifetime. Jim Green spent over four decades working at NASA before retiring on January 1st, 2022. During that time, he notes in the interview, NASA has greatly increased human understanding of the cosmos. Quote, we didn't understand superstorms. Now we do. We didn't understand much about dark energy or dark matter. Now we're now we do. And we're on it. Again, I disagree with that, but whatever. But it's this greater understanding that will bring about discovery, Green believes, of life outside our planet. Quote, now we know there are more planets in our galaxy than there are stars, and many of those, many of them are in places much like Earth, where we receive light from the sun and can have water, and not only liquid form, but frozen form, vapor form. Those are important conditions we believe for life, and we believe finding planets that have conditions where life may live or may arrive. I mean, keep in mind, they're only looking for life specific that basically looks like us. If you're looking in this kind of habitable zone of planets, we have life forming in volcanic pits. Life may just be one of those things that evolve when it gets the opportunity to do so. In business news, the IRS has piled up millions of tax return applications that could be overdue, forcing the Treasury to pay extra for the delay. The agency has 45 days to process an application and delays entail interest payments. Starting from April 1st, the interest rate for individual filers, which is tied to the Federal Reserve's benchmark, was raised from 3% to 4%. According to the Wall Street Journal, all this may lead to substantial budget crunch as the IRS has a backlog of 9.6 million unprocessed returns. Wow. On this day in history, in 1497, Italian navigator Amerigo Vespucci leaves for his first voyage to the New World. Again, this is disputed. In 1775, Second Continental Congress convenes in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and issues paper currency for the very first time. 
1801 First Barbary War, the Barbary pirates of Tripoli declare war on the United States of America. This is the first U.S. foreign war. In 1857, Indian mutiny. Yeah, Indian mutiny against the rule by the British East India Company begins with the revolt of sepoy soldiers in Marut. In 1940, Winston Churchill succeeds Neville Chamberlain as British Prime Minister. Neville Chamberlain was famously called an appeaser. An appeaser. In 1960, U.S. atomic submarines, USS Triton, completes the first submerged circumnavigation of the globe. In 1994, Nelson Mandela is sworn in as South Africa's first black president. And this is, of course, an apartheid state where he had been in prison, tortured for God knows how long. I forget how long he had been in prison, but he comes out and ends up being the first black president. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chance. All right, so let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with our guest. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video, and of course, smash that rumble button. If you guys want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. Well, we had that post about Hunter Biden's sugar daddy. No, bro. Bro, I'm, bro. I'm, I'm, I am corrected. Thank you. Not the daddy, the bro. Sugar bro. And I'll just read it. A high-powered Hollywood attorney paid off over $2 million of Hunter Biden's overdue taxes, the New York Post reported. Kevin Morris, an attorney known for representing the co-creator of the animated satire series, South Park, and their $550 million licensing deal, footed a tax bill for the son of the POTUS. Well, that was more than twice what was previously reported, according to sources cited by the Post. Furthermore, Morris dubbed Hunter Biden's latest sugar bro quote-unquote, by insiders, has ostensibly, ostensibly been bankrolling the 52-year-old's rent and daily expenses beside helping him structure his sales of art. How weird is that for the son of the president of the United States? That's called buying influence. To have a conversation about this, we're joined with the one and only Ed Martin. Ed Martin is a New York Times bestselling author and president of the Shafley Eagles. Ed, how's it going? You doing okay this morning? I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating news. It, yeah. You know, we've come a, we've come a long way since um, Billy Carter made Billy Beer, right? And uh, and and you know, we had at least uh, I guess weddings. Different different uh, different people had White House weddings in their life. It certainly is the appearance of it is insane. You have to wonder how the people around President Biden handle this because they must be frustrated. It's like, dude, just chill out for a while. Once he's no longer president, when you're, you can make all the money you want. But again, whether it's Mark Rich and his pardon or, you know, down the stretch with Trump, all those people that were lining up to try to, you know, pay, pay, pay consultants or whoever for pardons, it's very common to try to get that influence. It's just, it's amazing with Hunter Biden. It keeps coming back up. I, I think he got, you know, there's an app for everything. 
right? <laughs> There's like a Sugar Daddy app. So there might be a Sugar Bro app. A new Sugar Bro app. And maybe maybe you guys. Dad name is Biden. Well, I don't I don't know if it's applicable only to people named Biden, yeah. but if there's a sugar bro app and and you get big bros, right? Like, remember the big brothers, big sisters yeah. thing at, at the Boys and Girls Club? Yeah. Maybe it's something like that. And there's an app for this and they can connect you with a very wealthy big bro. Who want nothing in return. Nothing in return. For maintain. I mean, the, Just according to the bills. post, they're paying his bills, paying his lifestyle, paying his taxes, paying. I mean, this is astonishing. Even selling that dodgy artwork where you have these anonymous buyers and under no, under no circumstances, is there any kind of influence peddling? What's funny about this, Ed? It's to your point. This apparently came up once before where the White House, or the very least the people around Biden was like, dude, just do something else. This is making us look horrible. And they understood this kind of conflict of interest even during the Obama administration. What is going on? Like, how on earth <laughs> does this fly? And whatever, do you believe that Republicans are going to open up a secondary investigation on this if they get the opportunity to take power in the next elections? Well, I certainly hope so, but I would think it would be, an, I think you, you go about it more, uh, if I can say more cleverly or more sophisticated. You don't go after Hunter Biden's laptop. You go over, you go after why this stuff hasn't been, or, or Hunter Biden's taxes hasn't been uncovered, right? Who Who's sitting on this? Like, what is it? What is it about the FBI that they're sitting on all this stuff, right? And let me pause, by the way, and say something about more broadly about it. I mean, honestly, there, there's lots of people in in government that that do this, and it's partly sort of a, a rot at the top, right? And so, if you look at like Peter Schweitzer's book, you can see the influence. I mean, Biden was the product of 50 years of this conduct, and so you say to yourself, huh? Why is it that Hunter Biden's making millions from the Ukrainian gas company while Joe Biden is vice president? Is he influencing policy? You at least have to ask the question and take it seriously. It's much more serious than whether Donald Trump made a phone call to somebody, right, it, while Biden was in there. Same thing with China. Is the China policy changing or changed with Biden as president because his son made lots of money? That's the, It's not so much the uh, peddling. I don't know if I can do this right. It's not so much the money paid. It's the influence that's gained. And that's what we're not seeing in the conversation. So I'd rather I would rather see the Republicans not talk about how dumb the artwork is. You know, George W. Bush became a painter, too. Right. I mean, this is appears to be something people do when they're, I don't know, bored or where they don't have something else to do. But but I, I would much rather see what is the influence and why was the influence ignored? I mean, if, if it's true that Hunter Biden is doing this now. Most people don't change. And it looks like his behavior has been like this. So what did he do with Ukraine? And, and my point would be, get to the bottom of why somebody stopped asking, right? What is it about our system right now that says it's okay to have influence and, not, and none of our law enforcement, none of our IRS are asking any questions? It, and again, back to the last point, politically, out in the normal places, they look up and say, oh, yeah. That the game is rigged. It's rigged against me because I make forty thousand dollars a year. But if you make forty million, you're going to find a way to play the game. That's how people feel, and that's how you get Donald Trump, and that's how you get a landslide in November of 2022 for non-incumbents, which in this case will look like Republicans. And if the Republicans get in and are as corrupt as the Democrats, which they likely are, you'll see it flip back and forth. People are just sick of the rot in the Capitol. See, guys, the way I look at Sugar Bro over here is that this is a direct, obvious tie between Hollywood and Washington. Yeah. And at the same time, 
President Biden introduces Scary Poppins as his new minister of truth. And I don't think any of that is a coincidence because narratives are being shaped. And this big Hollywood lawyer guy is obviously, I mean, he's just finally admitted, all right, yeah, I've been footing all of Hunter's bills for the last couple of years. That's just one guy with influence in Hollywood tied to D.C. Think about how many other influential Hollywood people are behind the scenes tied to the folks here in D.C. So my question to you, Ed, is with the advent of the new Ministry of Truth, do you see any coincidences between the ties of Hollywood? No, 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 no. But I mean, let's, I'll, I'll tell you my Hollywood story. You guys are okay. <laughs> oh, go for it. I, I'm always into these stories. Go, <laughs> go for it. I did not do a screen test. I have not been <laughs> for, a, you know, a, a, a George Clooney type character, but I made it all the way to the top of the Gersh agency. Gersh Ooh. agencies. At, right. And I got into an inter- I got into an interview with one of the partners and a couple of the associates. And I was pitching in 2017 on the strength, as you mentioned, of my New York Times bestseller. I was kind of talking my way in. And I said, hey, I got this. I wrote a Trump bestseller. I've got my finger on the pulse a little bit of whatever million, 75 million people. Don't you guys think? And I went all the way through this process. It was fascinating. At the end of it, the partner, who is a nice guy, and I won't say his name because he doesn't need to be known as a nice guy. But the, he cleared the room. and It was just me and him talking. And he said, look. He said, I'm, as much as I like what you're doing, I'm a conservative myself. He said, I, I, I was in the military. I'm pretty conservative. He said, but I'm a salesman. And out here in Hollywood, no matter what you say, they won't buy something that is aimed directionally in a positive way for Trump. He just, they just won't do it. This is early on. And I said, but don't you want to sell to 30, 40, 50 million? And he's like, I do. He's like, I see it. But he's like, you can't go to, I was pitching like a, um, a bunch of different stuff about going out into normal America and finding out who these Trump people are, you know, kind of a, a reality kind of thing. And, and he said, I like it. He said, you're right about it. And there's lots of people, but there's no way we'll get that sold. That's not who we are, who they are out here and what they're buying. My point, though, broadly, Manila, to your comment is we're watching the uh, the curtain pull back on Oz, where we all thought there was this sort of truth you know, we could get to the truth if we listened closely and we read the New York Times and we also read the Post and we watched Fox News, we get a broad picture of the truth. What's being pulled back in Oz now is behind the curtain, they're just lying. And But here's the problem. The power of big government, big media and big tech makes it so that they can cover their lies and, you, and half the country never actually hears the truth. Russia hoax was a hoax, right? I mean, and we're and half the country still believes that there was inter- interference in 2016. Well, Nina Jankowitz was one of the main peddlers of that, and she's still doubling down and going all over the mainstream press, acting and behaving as if that is true. Right, but that's because they don't care what the truth is, and they just keep saying the narrative, and they're better at it because they have big government, big tech, and big media working together. So back to Hunter Biden. By the time it's done, you hear people say, oh, Hunter Biden, you know, he went to Yale. He's a good guy. I mean, he just, he got, you know, he just, he's another. You're like, wait, wait, if I told if I described the conduct of a 52 or 53 year old man related to a president or vice president, it would be like a made for TV movie about corruption. And, and yet, because the power of the messaging, the narrative machine, the people, half the country doesn't see any problem. And they never will, frankly. They will never see it because. The power of the machine should worry people more than I think it does. Conditioned blind spot. 
Jamara and I started the seven o'clock hour talking about these psychological blind spots and your brain, it's like you're, you're choosing not to see it for whatever reason. And in this case, I don't know if it's like the, the whiplash from Trump or if it's, you know, the, the Americas, uh, the Americas, well, that's largely true. North America, sans Mexico. So Canada and America choosing to be like, well, he's not Trump. So everything he does, therefore, is wonderful. His children are wonderful. Yeah, I, I, what I, I just think that, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I think I, I, a, lot of, a lot of things can be attributed to Trump in terms of, my opinion, in terms of challenging our assumptions. So whether it's politics, you have to go back in time of what I'm most familiar myself was we've never seen in a Republican primary. That's what I'm more familiar with. A presidential candidate just change the whole dynamic. In, in the usual playbook, you know, it was a hit like Hillary did to Bernie. That's the usual playbook. The big money, the establishment picks, and they wash the other guy out. In the Republican primary, it was supposed to be Jeb or, or Scott Walker, big money, wash all these other guys out, shattered it. He, he shattered a lot of things for us. And one of them was that you're getting the truth from the fake news. He, he, and that now, was he the one that did it? Or is it because it just in time things unraveled? But we're at the unraveled point. I mean, we now know that I don't believe any of the media is, is telling us the truth, period. I, Fox News joined the fray. In my opinion, the coverage of Ukraine and Fox News, they're, they're lying directionally for what they think and the neocons want. So my point is only that what do you do now? Because you can't curl up in a ball and go to bed. You still got to raise your kids and, and make a living. But it's a lot. Of, it's a big challenge. And, and, and what's happening is more and more people are awakening, but they're not, it's not clear where they should, how they can move and where they can go in terms of understanding things. So it's a, it's a really fascinating moment in kind of history of, of, of people, and especially in America, in the sense of our, our folks, you know, the opportunities we have in this country, even though we are screwing a lot of stuff up, it's still the best place in the world in terms of opportunity. So it, it's a wild time. But um, what, what I, again, I will say this politically, more and more people invest in the notion that politics will, will make things better. It doesn't really work that way, but November will be a pivot and then I think there's more pressure on Republicans who will get power, have a vision that looks different than the past. If you go back to the same past, you know, of the same playbook, you're just going to see the thing whip back and forth. Fear that more than I fear uh, even Biden right now. Although I fear Biden starting a world war. <laughs> it's that part. I am terrified that Biden is going to start a world war because I don't see how the president is going to save face when he's basically Biden has failed at everything that he's put his hands on. I mean, if you think about it. Yes, he got the COVID bill passed, but Trump was trying to pass the COVID bill. So am I really going to give him credit for something that Donald Trump himself was already trying to do? Well, no. And then when you look at the Afghanistan issue from the standpoint of foreign policy, the COVID issue, the number of people that have basically lost their lives, the level of inflation, the increase in gas prices, and all of this stuff is directly attributable in many respects, especially the increase in prices to Biden and his foreign policy. Now it came out yesterday, Biden signed World War II Lend-Lease Program for Ukraine. I mean— Give me your take on that, it, because to me, that is utterly disastrous. Already, he's trying to pass, what, $30 billion. And I think Congress was trying to give him $40 billion for it over the $30 billion or 30 something that he was asking for. And you have all of this homelessness. You can't, whether you agree with, you know, um, Medicare for all, or for that matter, public option, whether you agree with paying off student debt, whether you agree with giving a homelessness, we are not doing those things. We're instead dumping all of this money in Ukraine and basically initiating this program that preceded us getting into the Second World War. 
Give me your take on that. Well, well, look, look I mean, I, there's lots of things, but the starting point for a, converse, a conversation like this, in my mind, is is what's in our national interest, yes. right? What is it about the situation that is in our national interest, and work backwards from there. And and to my, what I see and I look at things is I I, I wish I could make. Uh, Ukraine a better place. I wish I could make Russia a better place. I wish I could make the whole world a better place. But I can't do that. And we've learned America shouldn't try. So now you pull back and say, what's in our interest? And when you have Joe Biden and the others saying there's no path to peace that can be negotiated, you say, in what universe does that make sense? I mean, maybe that's a negotiating tactic. But to me, that's, a, 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 as you point out, a combination of we're going to send billions to the person you're fighting, and then we're going to say there's no way to have peace. It doesn't, you know, to me, it's goading us into war. So I'm very disturbed by it. And I, but, but look, what we're missing, again, I just said the narrative machine. For, since World War II, we have heard that America is the most generous and we're the defender of the world and all. And we're all conditioned to believe that. It's only in the last five years that we've had leadership in, in both parties say, wait a second, how are we going to do that? And we've seen a shift. But they're trying to force it back. And, you know, not to sound like a left wing Bernie Sanders guy, but here I go. You know who makes the best out of this is all the guys making guns and making all the defense industrial complex that Eisenhower warned about. And so and by the way, and people who gather intelligence, because if we're if we may go to war with Russia, we better gather our intelligence, get stronger. You know, this is a war footing. That's what's going on. But let me pull back for one second. Problem I have is I, the people that are doing this, Susan Rice and others, are not elected. They're not. This is not Biden. Biden and no president I know has control of everything. But but this at this point, we're watching people that generally like to start major crises and then manage the aspects of it. And the way they manage it is massive transfer of wealth and massive uh, uh, power to the state the, uh, to the government. And so we're seeing that, right? We're seeing spending. Inflation's through the roof. We're still pouring money out and printing money. And so I, I'm more worried about the fact that Biden has two and a half more years, people around him running things, than I am, you know, anything else that I see. The, the bureaucrats and the top level people are really in the wrong direction. Wow. I am not sure if this is the same Ed Martin I've known for close to a decade <laughs> that I'm hearing right now. But if this is Ed Martin... President of the Schlafly Eagles. Um, wow. Number one. And number two, I want to switch over to something that is within Phyllis Schlafly's uh, wheelhouse herself that she was instrumental on and speaking up on was uh, the decision on Roe. And the, with this SCOTUS leak and the doxing of the SCOTUS justices, people showing up at their houses, now. The Senate, Congress had to pass this emergency funding, more funding, to send private, not private security, capital security to their homes. What do you think of all of that that transpired last week? What would Phyllis be saying right now? Well, so, so first of all, let me just inspire people that care, that want to be inspired. He was a very successful, uh, you know, speaker and writer in the 1960s before ERA and the fight over Obro v. Wade. But she got sick of people asking her on Capitol Hill if she was a lawyer. So she went back and did law school in her 50s and graduated second in her class and at the Washington University and became a lawyer just to shut them up. Um, and so she was pretty sophisticated on this. And she wrote a book about how the Republican Party stayed pro-life, the pro-life plank, which is a, a, a worthwhile uh, to read to understand the things. But well, look, a couple things. One is 
uh, the conversation that we're having needs to become about who decides and what we're deciding about, right? So nothing will be banned when Roe v. Wade is reversed because that's not what it says. It will go back to the states, and California will allow abortion till the, the right before birth, and uh, Texas won't. And, but what we what we're deciding about, I think, is challenging. And Abby Johnson, who is a leader of the pro-life movement, but who has admitted publicly and said she had two abortions when she was young, she worked at Planned Parenthood. She posted something uh, yesterday and uh, described how how do we handle this? Because to her and to me, it's a baby, right? And once it's a baby, the conversation needs to be about how do we handle that? How do we balance all the different competing things and, 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 and live with it? And what, even though we're going to debate the leaks and the, and the court, I just want to drive home the best part of the movement to talk about Roe v. Wade is when we're talking about life, whether it's the woman's life, the baby's life. We just need to return that conversation because the left wants to talk about crime and hate, and they want to do this, as you mentioned now. As to the intimidation of justices and the leak, look, that's an insurrection. I mean, I'm half kidding, but that is, that's conduct that is designed to make fear. And, and it's not only the conduct of, of the, uh, aimed at these justices. It's a shot towards the future. It says, don't be one of these people that's going to come and stand up and be like this because it will be costly for you. And if you don't think that matters to human beings, it matters a lot. It's designed that way. So it's the ultimate kind of bullying. Chuck Schumer bears the blame for it. He stood on the steps of the Supreme Court a year or so ago and said, you're going to reap a whirlwind, Alito. You're going to reap a whirlwind, Gorsuch. And, and, and said, you know, this. So, but we're at that point in our process. If you look at our history, a lot of this stuff is um, there's lots of craziness at various times. And I, what I hope we'll see is uh, confidence restored in the system as the conversation plays out. The Democrats are wrong that it's good for them. This is not a good issue for them. They're wrong about it. I, I'm, I'm convinced we could talk more about that. Uh, but what Phyllis, I think, would have said is she understands politics, and some of this politics has to burst forward and then hopefully fade away. But my last point will be this, guys. I was there. I was there. The, ne- the day after Michael Brown died, I was chairman of the Missouri Republican Party. I visited the site of that guy, the, the death. I prayed. I knew the situation, and I know it very well. I know the cop. I know, I know Ferguson well. They burned down Ferguson, out of town. And then Michael Brown dies. No one deserves to die, by the way. That's, again, light. But then they burned Milwaukee. They burned, you know, or Minneapolis, sorry. They burned down these neighborhoods. And, and it's generated by a system that wants that strife. And, and they burned cars on Trump's inauguration day. I was there. Yeah, me too. Watching, we're, we're watching this intimidation and saying, huh, are they going to ramp up and have protests all summer? I think they are. And I think there'll be people to pay for it. Because as soon as Biden won, the protests went away. Antifa or Black Lives Matter think that injustice was fixed that day. And because nothing, Biden changed anything. I mean, he really didn't. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm interested if Republicans get power, if they will also go after what's happened in terms of looking the other way when it comes to the kinds of things we've seen violence-wise and rioting-wise. I mean, again, I'm not, anybody breaks the law on January 6th, I, I, okay, but it looks like a lot of people didn't break the law or not dramatically so, and they're being called insurrectionists. Uh, it's, it's a strange thing. Guys, for the record and for the listeners, there is federal statute 18 U.S.C. 1507 that states that whoever has the intent of interfering with, obstructing, impeding the administration of justice 
or influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer, and pickets or parades. So basically, this is viewed as, this is a federal law. You cannot, this can be perceived as intimidating a judge. And and yes, you know what, when you're talking about 70-plus-year-old people having to have security out front of their homes in suburban, the D.C. metro, yeah. This is effectively a violation of the federal code. This is a, a federal law. If people are fearing for their lives, they cannot continue their, their, the job, basically. their job. They can't do their job because they're fearing for their life. This is intimidation of justices. And while I'm all for peaceful protesting, I don't agree with doing it at private homes. So I have mixed feelings on this. Um, for the Supreme Court one, this seems too far. Only because, like you said, this is not a situation where the Supreme Court is going beyond its scope. The Supreme Court has every right in the world to take this. And honestly, like I said, to me, this is more to do with something that should have been enshrined into law that the Democrats left vulnerable right. intentionally in order to use this as a club to try to compel wayward Democrats. Hey, 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 I know you don't like us. I know we haven't done anything for you. However, Ro, Supreme Court. Ro, Sup- yeah, Roe. You, you want to protect Roe? You want to protect Roe? It becomes that, right? And so it's like, spare me the belligerence after the fact when you guys had all the way back to the 70s to do something about this, and you didn't. So there's that part. From the standpoint of the protesting on people's thing, look, Bush got a million people killed. I had zero issue if people showed up at Bush's house to protest Bush. But that's the a, White House. It was a war of aggression. On top of a war of aggression, people lost their lives. But I guess that's what I'm saying. It's, I'm not absolutist on it. I look at this stuff and think, is the Supreme Court doing anything beyond the pale? No. Do I agree with the decision? No. Do I like it? No. But is it beyond the pale to such a degree where I'm going to show up at their houses? To pro- no. It just... Let's just say I'm not absolutist on it. By the same token, we're not going to take a lesson from the anti-abortion side who have threatened, browbeat, have been in those lines where they burned down abortion facilities. Again, this was when it was legal. This was when it was legal. And so it's like you could see the women who are trying to walk to the thing and these protesters are there extremely close yelling at them, screaming in their face. What is that if it's not intimidation? And that took place all across the United States, and especially in the South and many of these places, year after year after year with nothing being done about it. So I get this argument of, oh, it's impolite for them to show up. And I agree with you. It is impolite. By the same token, let's be very clear that this is not one side. Well, there are law. We are a nation of laws. That's supposedly the supposedly. case. Supposedly the case, right? This, I'm reading the federal statute. It, you're not permitted by law to picket outside the residence or any space occupied by a judge, juror, or witness, or other member of the courts. And and also, it is against the law to cause harm to any woman that's entering of course, a right. facility. Or, I mean, is screaming in somebody's face nice? No. Is it a threat? It can be perceived. It depends on what they're saying, right? Oh, uh, you can't have it both doing. ways. But the yelling part, you can yell all you want. You can, I mean, fine. Oh. That's... What is protest, if not yelling? yelling. Well, I mean, but, but I, I, and I'll, I guess I'm coming down again. I'm not, it's the new Ed Martin, but I, look, I, <laughs> it's pretty clear. The Constitution's pretty clear on freedom of assembly. I mean, and I, again, it's, it comes down to, the problem with that statute I have is it's intent, right? It says something about you intend to intimidate or whatever. Are you allowed to stand in front of a, on a public way, a public sidewalk in front of the Supreme Court with a, uh, with a, uh, with a sign? Yeah, has to be, has to be so. Are you allowed to stand on a public road in front of a, uh, 
justice is home. I think you probably are allowed to. Are you allowed to yell things and disturb them at all? Like if you did it to your neighbor, they could call the cops and say, why is that guy yelling when I go to sleep? I think that's where you can say there's some things that say, so they, you know, that have to be backed up. I, look, guys, I, but I, I have to push back for one second. When, when there were people killing abortionists, I was with the people saying, put them in jail, you know, or worse. So I, I have, there's millions of Americans that stand in front of abortion clinics and pray. And I, it's very rare that there is what you guys described, by the way, as assault. If you yell at someone in a way that they fear, you just start charging with assault. You don't have to touch anyone to be charged with assault. So I, I but look, I think we're missing a, a point here. It, it, this was not a leak. This was not a whistleblower. This was a leak. Yes. And my question is, if there's a leak meant to intimidate and on the back end of it, you watch a sort of coordinated effort to, com- you know, to, to intimidate. The conversation needs to be about, wait a second, is this something that's being done, kind of a conspiracy? Now you're into the area where you don't have to, you do not have to prove that the leaker called uh, the organizer of the picket line to say, I want you to go, I'm going to do it this way. You, but I, I don't think you get that. I think, I think there's a sort of sense that if there was a leak, this is how we act. And look, I think there needs to be an investigation into the entities that fund this stuff, because there is a problem. And by the way, you can do it on the right. I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with saying, hey, if there's some, if there's a, I don't know, pro-gun group or something where it looks like they're doing, but it doesn't happen on the right like this. It, it hasn't happened. I, again, perhaps it did in the, uh, you pointed out in the war, the war period. I guess there, there's a, a possibility to go back and look at that. But uh, so the leaker is not a whistleblower in this case. The leaker is someone who's endangered lives. That's not a hero. This is not Assange. This is not, you know, there's no, there's no journalism at the heart of this. It's done to cause a crisis and to cause, and I, I, I want to finish with this. I actually think that this is a calculated move by the left, a mistake. But they, they have for uh, about 50 years been able to utilize the courts when they couldn't pass it through the, 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 the people. So, for example, in 04, most of the country rejects gay marriage in the states, state by state. You could say it was Roe putting on the ballot, whatever, but that was a vote. And a few years later, the Supreme Court says, we know better than you. We're going to carve out out a whole cloth, Obergefell, and say there's gay marriage. Forget about the policy issue. I'm just describing. So at the Supreme Court, you had gay marriage, abortion, a shift in the definition of sex slash gender, all this happening in the courts. Suddenly, the court has a clear conservative majority, at least 5-4, maybe 6-3. And now it's time to diminish the confidence in the Supreme Court, because the last thing we can do is let them look like they're honest and honorable and all, which is what they've done for 50 years, right? It, you, they, they would love to say Scalia and Ginsburg were friends as long as it stayed, you know, 5-4 for Casey or whatever the number was on the Casey case, right? So if, if Scalia was in the minority, he was a lovely, interesting, smart guy. Scalia in the majority, like Thomas is now, that now it's we got to diminish the Supreme Court. So the public, back to our beginning of the conversation, the public will hear, oh, yeah, you can't trust those people. They're political. And therefore, it's not legitimate. And therefore, don't listen to it. And I, I'll just, uh, my last comment, uh, amazingly, on the Sunday shows, the Democrat elected attorney general of Michigan announced that she would refuse to enforce the duly passed law of Michigan on abortion ban. And, and she didn't say, I want it changed. I, I believe, she just said, I'm not going to enforce it. Once we're lawless, once we're saying we don't care what the law is, then we're in bigger trouble than people realize. Exactly. Well, the court was basing this off of the 14th Amendment. I mean, it was more so just an interpretation of the law or the amendment that was already there for gay marriage. 
I mean, but to your point, well, and I guess there too, do you think they're going to go after gay marriage next? Meaning is that, is that next on the marquee? And again, it have to be a slippery slope though. Well, that's the question, right? Is it a slippery slope? I mean, the Supreme Court was using the 14th Amendment. And I'll just read it. All persons born or naturalized in the United States are subject to the jurisdiction thereof or citizens of the United States and state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive the person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of the law. And I guess my point is, should state get involved into whether or not two people get married or not? And is it somehow depriving them of, let's say... Further down, further down the path, if I, and let me answer your first question. Go for it. Alito says in his opinion, this should not... He says, now, again, you can disagree, you can say he's lying, whatever, but you can, he, he said, I, I, this is not meant to extend to other things right now. This, Very specific. So is, is that next? I, there'll be a conversation, but guys, look, it's just as the nature of the Supreme Court. It, it, did you, did, was, when Dred Scott was decided, were we supposed to say, oh, it can never be reversed? It, when when uh, Plessy v. Ferguson was decided, are we supposed to say it's never reversed? My, my point on this is Obergefell, everybody agrees, Obergefell was an extension that was created in the minds of the justices. And by the way, we've way past this. I don't think states would ban gay marriage. It's just a question of whether the, the Constitution will be manipulated to create all these rights. But I, I don't have any confidence. I, remember, the court is not apolitical. And, and at this point, if you said to me, Ed, do you think they'll go back and look at Obergefell, the gay marriage case? I don't think they will, because the, cult, the culture has moved past that. For good or bad, cultures move past it, and that matters. I had an inter- I did an interview the other day with uh, Clark Forsythe, who's a pro-life lawyer, and he said about this, he said the miracle, and he was talking for himself, is that the, the abortion laws were not settled enough that this could happen. In other words, in other areas, meaning there were challenges to it and there were questions about viability and all these things percolating for 50 years, on marriage – there's not a lot of questions about it. It's just been enforced, it, whether you like it or not. Again, it's been enforced and sort of settled into this is what we're going to do. And so uh, I think, but you know, I, so I don't think it's going to extend to that. I don't think it's going to extend the idea. People are saying it's going to extend to banning homosexual activity. That's not possible. Uh, it's just not something that's realistic. It's fear mongering, and I think that's unhelpful if you're talking about Roe v. Wade. I'd rather talk again about a baby. And more and more people are believing that there is life earlier than ever, and we should be talking about that. Ed, why is that, that socially it appears, and and I'm not disagreeing with you, why does it appear that socially America has accepted gay marriage, but there's forever been this fight about abortion? Well, I, 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 you want my opinion. My opinion is that there's a, just a categorical difference in terms of what's happening. I, I don't whether you if someone wants to get on and debate whether homosexuality or, or gay marriage is sinful or not. That's a moral question, right? And while I don't believe that the law is amoral, I, th- and I think it always has morality. I think most people are just understanding these are adults that are making decisions, and they're gonna and we're gonna be less judgmental. Look, for in parts of the world, not even a period of history, if you're a woman and you accuse a man of something, you can be stoned, you can be arrested, right? Because they have such a demeaned sense of men and women, right? We, we, I'm not saying we've come far enough, but we've grown up as people and said, let's be less judgmental. On the moral question, I just think people are more, and therefore the law, people are more likely to say, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to spend my time with adults 
who are consenting and worry much about it. When it comes to a baby, a lot of people, again, my point here is that half the, no, it's not fair. A third of the country actually thinks, like I do, that science and faith tells them that baby is a life. You know, if I told you that you're, so-and-so next door is going to kill her seven-year-old child, you'd be devastated. And you'd say, that's a murder. If, if I tell you someone's going to kill their seven-week child, we have a different debate. And I'm not judging it. I'm saying for a third of the country, that's life. And therefore, the categorical, the notion of what's at stake has been different. And then I actually think that uh, more and more people, Obama, the science, there was a tweet, he said, uh, uh, 3D ultrasounds changed the game. People have started to see things differently. You know, the, the, the church, Christian churches, uh, did not condemn uh, abortion of any kind until quickening. That, that was because you didn't have any sense of the science and the biology of things. And so quickening was the time you felt the baby move in your belly. So it, it, I think things have changed. But uh, on the question of gay marriage or homosexuality in general, again, it's only 75 years ago that we had laws that were allowing the arrest of people who engaged in homosexuality. Likewise, adultery. There was a period of time where adultery was illegal and you could be arrested, perhaps not criminally, but you, would, you wouldn't be able to get uh, your inheritance. You wouldn't be able to get your divorce if you were the adulterer. So we're changing sometimes for the good, but mostly, in my opinion, on abortion, it's because there's another life at stake for a lot of us that are watching this. I'm curious, why do you think that this was a bad move for Democrats? I, by the way, I agree with you that a liberal was most likely to win that released this, and they were trying to release it in order to get pressure on the court just before the final verdict comes out. And I've made the point before that Obamacare for a while had been killed, that Scalia had been going after Roberts to try to get Roberts to change his mind back to whatever the preliminary decision was on that case, um, where Roberts basically said, it's a tax. I'm not going to get rid of the president's main agenda. So I agree with you on that point. But why do you think that this is a disadvantage for Democrats? Because I believe the opposite of this. I believe that Democrats were going to lose magnificently if nothing happened, meaning if the position stayed the way the position was and you went into the midterms, it was a lock for Republicans to basically take the House and most likely the Senate. Whereas now, you at the very least give them a talking point because before they couldn't even say we accomplished anything. I mean, there were reports out the Hill. They were like, hey, we should just give up in 2024 and just focus on um, the, the later elections. Like basically just, just we, let it go. They just let it go. We haven't accomplished anything. We need to reshape ourselves. So why do you think that this is going to have a detriment or be a detriment to the Democrats? In one sense, it changes the conversation as we're talking about this instead of inflation and, and gas prices. So that may be positive. But I just know politics. And when you go to run in 2022 in November, it's not about getting 51 percent of the people to agree with your all of your positions. It's different groups of people that care about certain things. And I think on the pro-life issue, people misunderstand. There's a lot of African-Americans that are pro-life, a lot of Hispanic Americans, a lot of Hispanic Americans that are that are pro-life. So when you say, oh, when someone says to me, oh, the Democrats are really going to fire up their base, are you really going to see? I've, I've never known. I've never seen it in Missouri, where I'm from, in St. Louis and Kansas City, where there are larger populations of African-Americans and Hispanics. I've never seen the, the, the turnout increase where African-Americans are saying, I got to protect reproductive rights. They're much more likely to be talking <laughs> jobs and the economy and racial injustice, the school system. Right now, the school system's the issue. So I don't know what group gets excited about this, except for the sort of wild-eyed Karen class. They're already excited. They're already going to do it for you. And, and the other fact is this, is that, you, that people think that young people are pro abortion or at least want pro-choice. It doesn't look like that. It looks like the gap that the place where the pro-abortion, uh, pro-choice people are is about 
about 28 to 54. They're strongly so, but the younger people, the Zoomers, and and, and down that they're not really they don't they, they've seen enough science of this. They just don't motivate on it, and and they also know they can get contraception. They have it. They want it. So they're not experiencing the problem the same way that 25 years ago people were experiencing. So I just don't know who gets so excited that it changes the turnout margins in key districts to save Pelosi. I just don't know. I don't see that. And, and, and I actually think you're what you're doing is, look, if you're, if you're an American pro-lifer, you know what you woke up on the day after that leak and you said is, thank God. Thank you, Lord, for Donald Trump, which is not happening a lot on a lot of other things sometimes. But pro Ed, or thank God for Obama well, for not fighting for his own pick. But you, <laughs> Ed, you, but you know what? So far. Donald Trump is batting a thousand with all the picks in the yes. primaries in the in the local state elections that we just saw. He everyone he backed has won. Uh, we're looking at Pennsylvania next. He's back in Dr. Oz. Uh, if he if this continues, I think that's a precursor to what's going to come in November. Well, I think so too. I, again, I, I don't think this was a great change that they wanted, but I'm not. I don't think they're done. I mean, I, I don't think Pelosi. I, I, I have two theories about it. One is that the establishment is per- purchasing the Republican majorities now, so that they will have enough real estate to keep it from doing the right things, and we'll see a sort of blase Republicans. Or Pelosi will also. She's not going to give up power without a fight. And so, watch for the next crisis, the next hoax. I mean, look, if we're in World War Three. By uh, September, a lot of uh, elections change dramatically, right? So I don't. I just. Uh, but but I, I agree with you on on the the basic direction of things that it is. It looks like a landslide. You know, Selena Zito, who writes in the Washington Examiner and has been pretty savvy. She was writing about Trump before Trump was strong, very early in 2015. Um, she wrote a piece about 1894, the landslide of landslides. That was bigger than anything in the, in our history, and she thinks we're in that direction in terms of just dissatisfaction broadly with, you know, they, everyone hates the swamp anyway. If you're in office, they hate you. But it's obviously accruing to the Democrats pretty dramatically. And um, we'll see. You know, I think that that's right. But who knows what happens between now and November? That's a really good point. I, it's funny. I mean, I know on some level, I think, I guess I think I partially agree with you and partially disagree with you. I agree with you that, you know, within the context of people who are going to be really jazzed up by this, I think you're going to get a large share of Democrats who are considered this existential. And oftentimes, a situation for politics is who can you get out your base? Not necessarily can you get out new people. Yeah, new people help, but you can't really count on new people. Can you get out your base? And is this an issue that can basically jazz up the Democratic base in order to get those people to basically run out and vote in a way that they weren't going to do um, in the midterms? And I do think that's possible. Because if we're, I think there are going to be some Republicans who say, yeah, I do want abortion to be legal. It, rare, but legal. And you, I think you're going to get Democrats who might have been dejected, who might have been demoralized, who don't accept this idea that, meaning they don't accept my idea and framing of this, that basically Democrats left this that way intentionally. They look at it as, oh, those dastardly Republicans, in which case, in their heads, well, you got to go to the poll and vote for Democrats, et cetera. But we're going to see who's right on that one, because I, I, that is going to be fascinating. And back and to your point, we have several months before the election. Anything could take place between then and now, especially, like you said, if there is a larger conflict that starts to spark off uh, with Biden being, you know, getting us that much closer to oblivion. And so, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm curious, from your standpoint, when you're looking at these stories and things like that that are coming out, how do you frame this time in history? We have about a minute. And I know that's not necessarily a huge amount of time to kind of frame that. But to your point, it does seem like the public is getting, I don't know, disenchanted. 
um, aggravated. I mean, they're being hit with inflation. They're being hit with higher prices. Um, all of those things. What are your thoughts? You have about 30 seconds. Well, uh, I, I actually, I, I think we're in a historic time in this sense that it's what I call a mass movement time where uh, for a long time, the American dream was not only possible for people, but they felt it was possible. And now, starting in 08, when they looked and saw that the game was rigged in favor of the powerful and rich, and now down through all these things, whether it's the you know the Sanders, Bernie Sanders guys being stomped on, or, or or the Trump movement, I think there's a sense that there's something wrong. And when you're in a mass movement, people lurch in different directions for different solutions. And so I think in some ways it's a dangerous time uh, because we have to get good solutions that pull us together. And the rule of law is one of them. So it's so dangerous. Ed, we're going to have to jump in. Thank you, my man. I appreciate this. Ed Martin, he is New York Times bestselling author and president of Schlafly Eagles. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere floating around the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Thomas and Chan. I was about to say thriller, and then it was like, oh, wait. And then it, thought always comes in your mind, don't ad-lib. Or if you do, like ad-libbing is treacherous, just because it, it's right. like, yeah, sometimes you- can either you, be brilliant- Yeah, right. Or, or horrendous. A bomb. <laughs> right, right. It's like if Batman kills somebody, Batman's going to jail. Um, by the same token, you know, he's pretty good at beating up people without killing them. Not this Batman. Not this Batman. <laughs> right? So against this Batman. <laughs> right, right. What a snoozer. Not a loser snoozer. He's a snoozer. <laughs> but shout out to Ed. Great conversation with Ed. I enjoyed the conversation. Like you said, he's a really affable guy. He's very easy to talk to. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Great conversation Wait, with Ed. What I find really funny in this day and age is like, because of people's political inclinations or their leanings or the way they vote or whatever you want to describe them as, right? People tend to already have this preconceived notion of I'm going to like this person or I'm going to hate this person because they wear a blue shirt or a red shirt. They're red team or blue team. Can't stand that green shirt. Right. Yeah. And already are just, oh, the green shirt is universally hated across this country. <laughs> so there's that. And then there's the people with no shirt. And then there's Vermin Supreme wearing the boot on his head. God bless that guy. I've interviewed him before. He's a hoot. Um, but yeah, with Ed Martin, I mean, People want to think, oh, I'm conservative. I, I don't want to like him. But you know what? Oh, you, yeah. give, give him a couple minutes. You don't have to agree with him. You're not going to hate him. But those are the most interesting conversations. Like, where you can, like, it's one thing to just agree with somebody. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But right, no, I think easy. it's boring. Yeah, that that's easy. easy. Yeah. That's easy to agree with somebody. But when you have, like, a, a, a person in D.C. like Ed Martin, you kind of go, Oh, this is kind of reminiscent of like the old days of civility. Yeah, where you can have the conversations, everybody leave, you know, it's like, hey, let's get a drink when we go out. Right. You, like, you know, leave. That's what you think. That's what I think. We can still be civil and let's see how we can try to find a win win. Yeah. Even it's if it's just a little win for me, a little win for you, nobody gets a huge victory. 
fine. At least it's a little movement. Well, both people just accept we disagree. Because right now, it is stagnation in that damn swamp up on the hill there. Yeah. Ain't nothing moving. Nope. Ain't nothing. Well, no, that's not true. Ukraine is Lillies. living. Lend <laughs> lease. They're getting $40 billion or something. Yeah. Whole bulldozers just yeah. pushing everything over yeah. to Ukraine. So there is one thing moving. But otherwise, everything on the hill, stagnant. You want something to happen and you want it to die, send it to the hill. That's where it'll go to die. So, yeah. You don't want somebody to see your old high school hairdo pictures? Put it up in Capitol Hill. It'll Nobody just will see it. It'll die. Nobody will look at it. Nobody, it'll just go there to die. So there's that. But anyway, shout out to Ed Martin. Good to have him. Uh, let's get to some headlines here. In domestic national news, for you art lovers out there, we've got a lot of art news, actually. Um, yep. First, a real artist, Andy Warhol, his iconic portrait of Marilyn Monroe, the diva, the Hollywood diva, was sold for a record-breaking 195 million bucks on Monday, becoming the most expensive piece of American art ever sold at auction. The auction house received the art piece from the Thomas and Doris Amon Charitable Foundation in Zurich, which money goes to help children. So that's nice. The sale was said to, quote, constitute the highest-grossing philanthropic auction since the collection of Peggy and David Rockefeller back in 2018. That's according to Christie's chairman, Mark Porter. All proceeds from that sale will be donated to that fund. Now, kind of tangentially tied to art, if you want to call it art, a how high-powered Hollywood attorney has paid off over $2 million of Hunter Biden's late taxes. Kevin Morris is his name. He is a Hollywood attorney, best known for representing the co-creators of South Park in their $550 million licensing deal. He footed a tax bill for the first son that was actually more than twice he had originally reported. So he, at first he owned up to a, only, a, only a million dollars, but it turns out it's two million. And now people are calling Hunter Biden's friend here, Kevin Morris, his sugar brother. You've heard of sugar daddy. This is a sugar bro. So he's ostensibly been bankrolling 52-year-old Hunter's whole lifestyle in, out in California right now. Paying his rent, daily expenses, and also facilitating the sales of Hunter's artwork, you know, the ones that have sold for half a million dollars. Um, and I would venture to say if he wasn't a Biden, it would have gone for $500, not 500000 And then the number of ultra-wealthy Americans purchasing so-called golden passports from other countries have soared since 2019, according to investment migration firms, which reportedly saw an uptick of 300% and greater in individuals wishing to establish secondary citizenship abroad for a price tag ranging in the mere 100000 all the way up to $9.5 million, depending on the country that you're getting this passport from. Uh, there's a growing number of tech entrepreneurs, celebrities, and other extremely high net worth individuals using so-called citizenship by investment, CIP programs, to ensure a possible exit, a parachute 
should the U.S. economy hit the skids? So they've got their parachute. What about you all? Um, international news. Turncoats. <laughs> Turncoats. You're going to reap all of that money. And then the moment when things get tough, like we're off leaving. The, off to Sweden. Yeah. Off to Sweden, off to Finland, off to wherever. Talk about real. I know. Well, you know, that's what you do with your money. Well, when you're very wealthy, I, I feel like Jay-Z did a music video or something about chasing the sun so the sun never sets for him yeah. on his yacht. Yeah. Which is technically true. If you keep sailing, you'll never catch a sunset. Like because, at a certain speed. Right, can, yeah. right. Because, you know, he wants it to always be summer. So really, it could all, if you're as rich as Jay-Z and Beyonce, total net worth, you can technically always have summer weather yeah. and sunshine. If you want. You got the money want. to do it. And so, who knows? Maybe they have the golden golden uh, passport. And doesn't have to work anymore. I mean, Jay-Z's like, what, like a billionaire or something? I th- yeah, yeah, I think he's officially a billionaire. And definitely, if they do their taxes together, they're married, I don't know if they do, but if they do, they are certainly well into the billions yes. together. So, there's that. They probably have these golden passports. And then some international news, speaking of golden passports, uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, wonder if he has one. Uh, Zelensky has come up with a rather strange way of marking the 77th anniversary of the dubbed Victory Day over in the former Soviet nations, the Soviets over Nazi Germany, of course. What he did, Zelensky, he posted to his social media um, and Telegram. I guess that counts as social media. He posted something that says, fighting for a new victory on the day of victory over Nazism. And the posts were actually a photo of a man in fatigues standing next to an artillery piece wearing what looks like the insignia of the 3rd SS Panzer Division Totenkopf, which is an elite division of Nazi Germany's Waffen-SS men. So, yeah, I don't know if this is like gaslighting or he's confused. He's not even hiding it. I mean, or, you remember when we know. went to Greece? He did that. He went in a Nazi right, and in the Greek parliament. Out. Yeah, Half of them walked they out. They were out. like, bro, yeah. that's a Nazi. Yeah. We're not into Nazis. We're out. <laughs> right. It's like, I love that. Bro, I think that's a Nazi. <laughs> right. Bro, is that a Nazi? Is that a Nazi? Like, what? Yes, um, it is. I don't want any part of this. I'm I, No photo ops with this one. I'm out. Yeah. So those smart ones got up. They're yes. like, Nope. Too far, bro. Nope. Too far. I don't want none of this. And they walked out. But yeah, so yeah, Zelensky's. But because he's Jewish, he can post this and by therefore denazifying the photo by his Judaism. His Jewishness takes away from the Nazism. Is that what it is? That is, it's, it's. It's almost like, like this kind of weird Merlin, energy change that takes Merlin, place. Merlin the magician just. Yeah. Just boom. So anybody who Zelensky stands near, he basically denazifies them by his yes. very Jewishness of his presence. My presence. Wow. Yes. That's a power, man. That's better than the Eminem I'm, penis stuff. I'm not saying all Jews have this power. Just Zelensky. Just Volodymyr Zelensky. Interesting. Just saying. Superhero. Just I, a pair. I mean, yeah. He can just stand and denazify people. Just, just stands there, and just, the Nazism just. Correct. Correct. Soaks out so of if he posts this picture on Instagram, it is not in support of Nazis. He has denazified them by way of 
his Judaism post. The U.S. should have just said that in the beginning. He has Which? the ability to denazify oh. Nazis. Oh, right, that's more that's believable. Right. That's actually right. more believable. Right. It's like, well, you know, here's this young Jewish president, and he just has the ability to denazify, the, take the, the white hate, yeah. the white nationalism. Clean it out of the person. Just, just suck it out of this guy. Just by standing next to him or posting a picture of him, like, do the sign of the cross. Yeah. No, I guess they don't do the cross because he's Jewish. He doesn't even do that. He's right. just standing there. He just there. stands there. Yeah. And it's just, you're, you're denazified, the hate within you, gone. Totally gone. Yes. Uh, more foreign policy news here. The U.S. State Department has also condemned violence against protesters in Sri Lanka, stating that it was closely following those ongoing developments in that South Asian nation saying, quote, we condemn violence against peaceful protesters and call for a full investigation, arrests, and prosecutions of anyone involved. We're also concerned with the state of emergency declarations, which can be used to curb dissent. That's from State Department spokesman, former spook, Ned Price. And Earth Science News, in a pretty lengthy interview with the BBC, NASA's <laughs> former chief scientist, says he believes we will discover evidence of alien life in his lifetime. And Jamaral, he's much older than you and I. So I, I hate to say it, but his lifetime is going to be prob- probably shorter than yours and mine, right. what's left. So yeah. that means relatively soon. Yeah. But that's the translation. How old is this guy? I, I would venture to say he's 60-something. 60 60 yes. Okay. I mean, Especially if he's, he's retired. He's retired. Yeah. So he's, I, I don't know, but so by looking at him, I bought 30 years, give or take. Being optimistic Gosh, about his... he has a yeah. nice long life. Yes. yes. Um, then in the near future, we will discover evidence of alien life. Not necessarily the aliens, but evidence of alien life. Um, and he said all this before he retired on January 1 of this year. Uh, during that interview, he says that NASA has greatly increased human understanding of the cosmos. Quote, we didn't understand superstorms. Now we do. We didn't understand how much dark energy, dark matter, how much there was out there, but now we do, and we're on it. That's questionable. I don't know how much they actually know about that. But it's this greater understanding that will bring about the discovery, Mr. Green believes, of life outside the planet. Quote, now we know there are more planets in our galaxy than there are stars. Many of them are in places much like the Earth where we receive the light from the sun and we can have water in not only liquid form, but frozen in vapor form. And those are important conditions we believe for life. And we are finding planets that have conditions where life may arrive. And then the IRS, this one, this time, this story is not about Hunter Biden. The IRS has piled up millions of tax return applications that could be overdue, forcing the treasury to pay extra for that delay, meaning the agency has 45 days to process this application and the delays actually entail interest payments to you. Starting April 1, the interest rate for individual filers, which is tied to the Federal Reserve's benchmark rate, was raised from 3 to 4%, according to the Wall Street Journal. All this might lead to substantial budget crunches as the IRS has a backlog of 9.6 million unprocessed returns. Then this day in history, going back to 1497, Italian navigator Amerigo Vespucci leaves for his first voyage to the New World, although a lot of people still dispute that. 
1775, Second Continental Congress convenes in Philadelphia and issues paper currency for the first time. In 1801, the first Brayberry War, the Brayberry Pirates of Tripoli, declare war on the United States of America, thus engaging the U.S. in its first foreign war. In 1857, Indian mutiny against rule by the British East India Company begins with the revolt of the Sepoy soldiers in Meerut. In 1940, Winston Churchill succeeds Neville Chamberlain as the British Prime Minister. In 1960, the U.S. atomic submarine USS Triton completes first submerged circumnavigation of the globe. And then in 1994, Nelson Mandela is sworn in as South Africa's first black president. And those are your top headlines for this Tuesday, May the 10th, here on Fault Lines with Thomas and Chance. And the one and only John Karyaku has made an appearance. Sorry about my mess. Um, so let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with John. We're going to have a great conversation. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and a course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. So for more than 20 years, U.S. presidents have basically, let's say, dodged, obfuscated, carried water for the Saudi Arabian government, um, especially on this issue of 9-11, despite the overwhelming majority of the attackers being Saudi well, for the longest time, they kept saying Saudi Arabia doesn't really have anything to do with it, or at the very least from the standpoint of the Saudi government. Well, a new declassified memo brings that into question, and that just calls it into question, basically makes the point that it is not true. So Omar al-Bayomi, a Saudi national, met two of the 9-11 hijackers shortly after they arrived in the United States. He maintained that he met the hijackers by coincidence and was in the United States as a business student. Um, and let's keep going. It says new documents suggest that the 9-11 Commission got that wrong. An FBI memo declassified in March reported that Bayoumi was receiving monthly stipend from the Saudi intelligence. In other words, he wasn't a student. He was a spy. Declassified FBI file suggests his initial meeting with the two hijackers had been arranged by contacts at the Saudi consulate in Los Angeles. Other documents released by the British government signaled that Bayoumi knew about the attacks before those attacks took place. Among Biomi's papers was a diagram depicting a plane descending towards a target on the horizon. Beside the diagram is a formula used to calculate the distance to the target. Now, my question, my question is, did we already know that? And because we were friends with Saudi Arabia, we basically buried it. Now, like I said, I believe in coincidences, but I don't trust coincidences. And the person who we have here is here to talk about it. So we have the one and only John Kiriakou. Easily one of my favorite guests, former CIA officer, co-host of Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, and author of books including The CIA Insider's Guide to Iran Crisis and The Reluctant Spy, 
Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. Thank you. There's a piece in this talking about, what is his name? Where is it? Where is it? Um, Abu, oh, what is his name? Abu Sabeda, I believe. Oh, Abu Sabeda. I could be wrong, but I, I could have swore. John knows all about him. Yeah, you know all of that stuff in here. <laughs> so I could have swore there was a piece in the article talking about that. But what is your take on this? I mean, am I, am I being too cynical here that the government basically buried this? I mean, because this was an FBI, they released this as a, oh, right, we're going to just let this out now. At the exact moment where a relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia have basically hit the skids, to put it mildly. Um, and, you know, there's reports about um, Ben Salman in his shorts yelling at Jake Sullivan. There's um, reports that apparently people were sent to beg these guys to turn on the oil spigot, to which they're not going to do it. Biden gets in office and calls his dad, doesn't even call MBS. And so the relationship is clearly tortured at this point. I mean, there was even the comedy thing where they allowed the comedy routine where they were joking Joe Biden on air. And so it's like, okay, this is stuff that doesn't necessarily happen. This, all of this is indicative of a relationship that is basically fractured magnificently. And now, coincidentally, here's this report that comes out that shows what the FBI knew all along. That, that this guy was entirely related, not just intimately related to it, knew about it. And apparently it was even part of the Saudi embassy, meaning this stuff and some of this stuff was taking place in Saudi consulate in Los Angeles. Well, the worst part is, John, it didn't come from our own FBI. This came from the UK. That's the, Britain, the only reason right. it came to light. And now you have some very angry 9-11 family. Oh, yeah. And they should be. There are several things at play here. First of all, the, the answer to your most important question is, yes, of course the FBI knew yeah. what Omar al-Bayoumi was, was up to. Yeah. So did the CIA and the State Department. And I can tell you that immediately after 9-11, well, let's back up. 9-11 happens, Bayoumi takes off. He goes to the UK. Two weeks after 9-11, he's arrested in the UK at the request of the United States. Oh, that quickly. Uh-huh, two weeks. And then the Saudis, I'm sorry, I'm, the, uh, the British let him go. They have to let him go because they say there's just no evidence to hold him. Charge, no right. Charges. Yeah, no charge. They uh -huh. let him go. Then Bayoumi shows up as part an official, of an official delegation of the, uh, of the Saudi king yeah. to Crawford, Texas. Right? King Abdullah flies in. He's, uh, he's invited to the, um, the Bush Ranch. This is like those old mob hits where the guy shows up at the, the, the funeral exactly. after getting the guy whacked. You send a nice bouquet of yeah. flowers. Wow. So, he, so we got word, we at the CIA got word that Bayoumi was going to be a part of this delegation. And we decided, let's at least watch him and see, is he just going to stand around? Is he going to take notes? Is he going to go out and meet with somebody? If so, who? What are they talking about? So we worked with the State Department's Office of Diplomatic Security. They were going to send some agents to Crawford as well, which is part of their normal duty to watch Bayoumi. We get down there. The CIA and the State Department get down there. And there's somebody else watching him. And it turns out it's the FBI. But the FBI never told us that they considered Bayoumi to be an intelligence officer, or part of the 9-11 conspiracy. We had to develop that on our own. Now, we were out looking for a bad guy. We don't know what the heck the FBI was doing. Now, here we are 20 years later, and it turns out that the FBI 
knew they had information that Bayumi was an intelligence officer. This this just had a points back. Yeah, this points back to Prince Bandar too. You know, I was I've talked about him, Bandar Bush. Bandar yeah. Bush. Bandar Bush. He uh, he invited the first President Bush to his his uh, cabin, is what he called it, mm-hmm. in Vail, Colorado, fifty thousand square foot. That's what I was going to say, like a palace. Right? A I was thinking like a palace that he yeah. called the cabin. Right. And President Bush famously wrote, "This is the nicest cabin in the woods <laughs> I've ever been to." Right. So he's right. close to the Bush family. He's practically an American. Well, then. Why was he uh, with Bayumi on his paid staff? What was Bayumi tasked with doing here in the United States? And a second question, why did Bandar's wife transfer money from her checking account to Bayumi? Yeah. And then have Bayumi possibly transfer it to the 9-11 hijackers? So there are, 20 years later, there are lots and lots of questions we just don't have the answers to. But, but the bottom line is that, of course, the Saudi government knew what was happening. Of course they were involved. They're bad people. Yes. That's what it comes down to. The only reason we have anything at all to do with, this, with the Saudis is because we buy their oil and they buy our weapons. That's it. And so now that relationship is breaking down. Now this is fair know. game. Do, do you think, do you believe that, John? That the, that, that, that the relationship's breaking right, down? I mean, yes, no. it's breaking down, but, it, but no. d- does this that put them at risk? This is a temporary kerfuffle. Right. Oh, it doesn't put them at any risk. No. I don't think it puts the Saudis at any risk Absolutely of having not. any truths accidentally when, when, come when out. When somebody like Mohammed bin Salman, who's just a murderous little punk, yeah. right, can scream at the national security advisor and get away with it, then we're not in the right position. Yeah. Because we should be able to squash him like a bug, which we would have done to any other Saudi crown prince. What makes him different? He's not afraid to murder people. He's not afraid to just scoop people up off the street. Uh, he's not afraid to, to push his own father off to the side yeah. and run the country himself. And so we're not quite sure what to make of that. You know, we, we've... We've had this so-called special relationship. I hate that term, but that's what everybody calls it. The like special a sugar, relationship. Like a sugar bro. <laughs> yeah, sugar, like a sugar bro. That's the theme of the day. Exactly. Sugar bro. Two million dollars from your sugar yeah. bro. Um, since uh, Franklin Roosevelt was president. Right. And, and Ibn Saud was the, was the king. Oh, Abdulaziz uh, al-Saud. And, um, and we've worked with a string of kings ever since then. Saud and Faisal and, and Khalid and Fahad and all of them. Well, now we've got this this punk who just will not take instruction. Yeah. Right? We're the superpower. They're not. That's not what the relationship has been historically. Well, you know, when Trump was in office, Trump made that point himself, basically saying if it wasn't for us, he would be taken out of office immediately, which, of course, wasn't necessarily going to go over well, despite the fact that the relationship between him and Trump were extremely close. I mean, mean, why? May I interrupt you for one second? We, We made a terrible mistake. We made a terrible mistake when his father removed uh, Mohammed bin Nayef as the crown prince. Mohammed bin Nayef was only crown prince for, what, a year or two. Mohammed bin Nayef was like a god at the CIA. He had been the head of the, of the Saudi intelligence service and had survived an al-Qaeda terrorist bombing where, where an al-Qaeda operative put an explosive up his rectum how did that got, happen? Got what? an audience with Mohammed bin Nayef, blew himself up into a million pieces, and almost killed Mohammed bin Nayef. 
And then the next thing you know, well, Muhammad bin Naif, of course, survived. He becomes the crown prince under Salman. And at the CIA, everybody was like, oh, thank God. It's Muhammad bin Naif. We can work with you can trust guys. this guy. You yeah, can work we with this trust guy. him. Yeah. We can work with him for the next generation. And then, oh, he's under house arrest. Mohammed bin Salman deposes him, becomes the crown prince. Everybody's put in uh, in house arrest at the Ritz Carlton yeah. or the Four Seasons or whatever it was. And um, and a couple that didn't want to be under house arrest died mysteriously in plane crashes or car accidents in the desert. Total coincidence. Total, John. total massive coincidences. And nobody has seen or spoken to Mohammed bin Naif again. Wow. Well, one of their insider guys, uh, MBSs, ran away to Canada. Yes. Yes. And they have repeatedly tried to kill him in Canada. And they've used family members who have stayed behind in Saudi Arabia to try to lure him back. And he actually considered going until Jamal Khashoggi was chopped up and thrown into a well. Because, you know, for Khashoggi, his thing was he wanted to get married. Yeah. It was, it's almost sweet when you think about it in a way that they were able to kind of lure him back there. He even told her, he's like, look, if there's any issue, if I don't come back, leave, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was very clear that he um, had some concerns about it. I'm curious, though. I mean, is there any risk of them trying to get rid of MBS? Like yeah. in the same way that they would do, let's say, um, um, Pakistan, um, Imran Khan, or right. the same way they would try to do with um, Venezuela. Yeah, guy. but they didn't do Imran Khan. Right, they didn't, they didn't. No. Well, I was, I mean, that, like it, that was a soft it, coup, right? It, 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 I, and I, I don't even know if it was a soft I, coup, to I don't, be honest. I don't even think it was. I think Imran Khan be, became an incompetent boob. Basically, he end, became toxic and, and they just, got rid of him. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there have been, there have been two occasions when, when there have been unnatural changes of leadership in Saudi Arabia. In, um, in 1967, King Saud was overthrown mm -hmm. by his brothers and re replaced by Crown Prince, later King uh, Faisal. Yeah. So Saud was uh, was mentally ill. Okay. And what they have in Saudi Arabia is um, is the the council of uh, uh, the royal council. So it's made up of of all of the male. Um, uh, princes, uh, well, male princes, of course, all the yeah. princes are male. It's made up of all the family princes. There are like 10,000 of them. And um, there are several hundred that make up the, the inner core, right? And what they do is they, they vote. Right, these are on, the first cousins. We yeah, know, like yeah all basically the all cousins. the first cousins or, and second cousins. I mean, there are some like the Saud al-Kabir, the, the, right, the distant relatives that don't get the vote. Exactly. Right. So um, th they'll, um, they'll all get together and say, look, you know, we, we want to overthrow the king, so let's hear the, the uh, yeas and nays. Oh, they're the group that make that determination about yes. whether or not the king should remain in power. It's, it's yeah. all familial. It's all there. familial. It's all and familial. then when King Faisal was assassinated by a deranged nephew, uh, they had to come up with a new crown prince. Well, what they had been doing was all the sons of, of Abdulaziz who were interested in becoming king someday were all in a line. There are like two or three that are still alive that aren't interested. They're businessmen. One lives in Cairo. They're just not interested. So for the very first time ever in Saudi history, it was time to change generations. So instead of a remaining son of Abdulaziz, you're going to have to go to a grandson because the sons are all dead or not interested. 
And so Mohammed bin Nayef was the original choice. And everybody's like, oh my God, he's so great. Educated at the U in the U S military training in the UK intelligence career. He's perfect. And now he's out. So it, he's out because his cousin overthrew him, not because there was a vote of the family council. Interesting. There was no meeting of the family council. This was a coup. I mean, you, you get people knocked off, right? Like you, yeah. like in North Korea, the right. same thing with the Un, Kim Jong-un family, the Kim family, right? knocking each other off, knocking out his brother that was in, I don't know, I forget where, Singapore or Malaysia. He was traveling with the, with the two ladies that came and poisoned him thinking that they were on TV or something. I mean, <laughs> wow. yeah, these are weird. These are weird, like harebrained things that you, for us in the West, it sounds harebrained and crazy, but these are things that actually happen oh, yeah. in, in those corners of the world. And the next thing I, I'd like to note, John, with all this stuff, you know, coming forward, coming to light with 9-11, um, I don't know necessarily if we would describe the Saudi relationships all around them as fracturing, but the UAE is traditionally like the little brother of Saudi Arabia. And Big Brother gives them their marching orders and oh, they stubbornly go out and they do it, but they do it, yes. right? But more and more increasingly, and we're seeing this in the, the war in Yemen, that the UAE is kind of going on their own. Yeah, that's a new development. So what is going on with that brother relationship there? Well, the Emiratis don't need the Saudis. Like, Anymore. Like the Bahrainis do. The Bahrainis are... are uh, utterly tied to Saudi Arabia. They can't survive as a country. Inextricable. Inextricable. In fact, the, the Bahrainis, when I was stationed in Bahrain from 94 to 96, the Bahrainis actually ran out of oil. And so the Saudis gave them a small field, a small oil field just offshore between the two countries that produces 50,000 barrels a day. And the Bahrainis were consuming 50,000 barrels oh, a day. just enough. Just enough Sugar to keep growing. them going. That's why Bahrain became a banking center because there's no oil. So um, the Bahrainis are, are utterly beholden to the Saudis. The Qataris hate the Saudis, and they actually have shooting wars along the border every once yes, in a while. Yes, I was there when, yeah. they, when they were basically fighting. It's always kind of fun because both of them employ Pakistanis in their military, so it isn't actually any Saudis or Qataris who are doing the fighting. It's the Saudis and the Qataris ordering the Pakistanis to, to fight shoot at on each behalf. Other. That is yeah. so weird. Yeah, because I was in the cab and the cab driver was talking about the Saudis and basically yeah, saying they were fighting the at the border. Talk yeah. about proxy fighting proxy. Like, yeah. It's really very funny. And I've been down there on the border. It's, uh -huh. I mean, nothing can live there. Like, not even insects. <laughs> it's so dry and it's so desert. It's so hot. It's if so you ever, hot. If you ever get to Qatar and you're in the airport, Doha, I think we were there at nine o'clock at night. It was like a hundred degrees outside. Yeah. It was, and that's as cold as it's getting. It is brutal. I couldn't believe people could live through that. Last but the question. Emiratis, though, are are increasingly independent because they're they're both rich. They're, they're it, dependent or independent? Independent. Oh, independent. They're rich. The the Dubaians and the uh, Sharjans have more money than they could ever count in a lifetime, and the uh, Abu Dhabians have oil, plenty, plenty of oil. So they don't need the Saudis. Now, they prefer to work with the Saudis and to have a good relationship because they've seen how bad the relationship is with the Qataris. Mm -hmm. But if they have a, a difference of opinion, let's say, on the war in Yemen, they're happy to go it on their own. Well, I mean, couldn't MBS, because he's kind of this rogue actor, couldn't he also— I mean, because Sheikh Mohammed of Dubai, I mean, he's getting older. Yeah. He's 
Yeah. Probably looking, he's going through a lot of personal familial drama yeah, right now. He is very much so. He's looking to step down. His health is bad. Right. And and his son, uh, which everyone calls Hamza, mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, he goes by Fa- Faisal, I yeah. think, his his artist name. Yeah. He's a poet. His <laughs> artist name is Faisal. Um, he's the crown prince. He's going to take over. Will, I mean, how will these two young men, both under 40, going to rule with their two countries slightly fractured? That's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem because MBS is going to want to exert his influence over the whole peninsula right. and the Emiratis aren't going to stand for that. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Five Let's like question, John, because I know you have to go. And 9-11, um, we use 9-11 as a justification to go into Iraq. We ended up killing a million Iraqis, or at the very least getting a million Iraqis killed. This has nothing to do with the other wars that basically respond using Iraq as a base point, whether it's Syria, Libya, et cetera. Now that we know that the Saudi government was intimately involved in this, what does that mean? You know, I, I can give you two answers. What does it mean to me? Or what does it mean in terms of national policy? In terms of national policy, it means nothing. Nothing will change. Uh, just because policymakers will tell you that the policy is more important than anything else. Even all, all 3,000 people died yeah. on 9-11. 3,000 people. And they basically used that as a justification to go in, attack, war regression yes. against Iraq. And all along, in their files, they had that this guy was intimately related to what took place and how we were Madeline Albright said it. 500,000 kids. Yeah. Right? Her infamous half a million sa- or Iraqi babies. Although Congressman um, uh, Hamilton Fish said in public that he very much looked forward to the day when we could tell the Saudis to drink their oil. John, always a pleasure, my man. John Kariaku, former CIA officer, co-host of Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik. That goes from 12 to 2 um, p.m. Author of books including CIA Insider's Guide and Iran Crisis and The Reluctant Spy. You can follow John on Twitter at John Kariaku and learn more about him at johnkariaku.com. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Chan will be taking your calls coming up next. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. We are taking your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. And we have Tarif New Orleans. What's going on, Tarif? How you doing this morning? How y'all doing? Thank y'all for taking my call. Hey, Tarif. Um, I'm doing fine. How y'all doing? Um, just one of the best shows on the, on radio. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It helps to have great guests. Yes, and and we have supportive callers and listeners like yourself who always have opinions that are very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I know. I mean, they got one person. I don't mind y'all. You know, if y'all can interview one day, if y'all want to, his name is Anton Shankin. He teaches about. He did research on uh, American history and dealing with the Civil War and before then how America was created, you know. Is that S-H-E-N-K-I-N? C-H-A-I-K-I-N, something like that, Shaken. I, I send it to, um, I send it to um, Jack. I send it to him. All right. Okay, here I go. My two comments. Okay, first comment. Um, a spokesperson for 
Ukraine said if Ukraine does not receive candidate status from the e- from the EU, this means only one thing that Europe is trying to deceive us. Basically, that's what he said, and we are going to to- uh, we and we are not going to tolerate that. What that mean? I do not know. I have no idea what that means. I mean, Macron had basically said it would take what a decade or something like that for um, Ukraine to be considered um, for EU membership. I mean, in- one, you can't have territorial disputes, and two, you can't be in active war. Yes, there's that. And you have to have a certain ex, like you can't. It's like a credit check. Yeah, you can't have <laughs> right, like right. certain amount of debt. You can't be insolvent. So there's that. Very weird. Yeah, I don't know what that means either, Tarif. Let me go ahead with the, um, my last comment. Okay, remember the the Lin Lee thing that they had in the World War II? How Ukraine is signed up? Yeah, Ukraine gonna be is gonna be seriously trouble, terrible for them. Um, excuse me, it's gonna be seriously impossible for them to pay them back. Here we go. Ukraine is uh, exporting large amounts of grain from their farmlands from the Odessa region and the Nukolev region which is in the southern part of Ukraine. Now, I got to tell it to your viewers, viewers. Ukraine and Russia have the most fertile land in the world. Ukraine is second to Russia. Southern part of Ukraine to the southeast and the central um, part of Ukraine to the east from the Kokov produce the most tonnage of, um, of um, grain products for the world. Ukraine, Russia is gobbling it up right now. Pretty soon, within the next two or three months, they're going to be on Odessa. Once they take that away, because the article goes and say that that grain that's coming from you get uh, Odessa and Nokolov region is paying for that Lin lease thing. Remember, I said this last month that Ukraine, from the pay for those weapons in that seven billion dollars a month, they're going to have to sell. They crops to the global market, to the West, to pay for it. If Russia takes that, they, uh, the, um, the, the, um, the year of the grains that they're shipping out is going to be reduced because other parts of Ukraine, it, they have farmlands, but the, for, the uh, fertile land is not as deep as in the southern part of Ukraine going to the eastern part because you got five feet of deep fertile land in those grounds, I mean, in, that, uh, in those two regions. It can produce high quality wheat and things of that nature. The rest of the Ukraine got maybe 18 inches of it of topsoil. You know, so Russia might take anywhere from one third to half of it. But yeah, that's my. And then what are they going to do? Very good points, Tarif. Thank you for bringing those up. We'll look into the I mean, the dude. Considering that the EU is talking about giving them what five billion dollars. A, a month or something like that? How much ever yes. that, that is well, in order to keep them they're, going? They're basically going to ensure, the U.S. and the EU are basically going to ensure that they, it's a debt trap yes. for Ukraine. They'll never be able to get out. That's so the then, then they'll never be able to actually join. They are going to have a crippled country limping Hello? out of this conflict. Whatever they look like, it is clearly going to be goal. balkanized. That's the whole goal, Jamal. You I, don't have to say no to these people. You just say, yeah, 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 but do this first. And that's yeah. what happened. Well, I don't know how they expect them to pay this back. Let's go to Mark in New York. Hello, Mark. Oh, good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm perturbed by a couple of things you had just discussed. Uh, one, uh, I'll start with the latter part. Uh, with regard to Ukraine and, this, and, and, and the uh, Europe, EU's uh, commitment 
as well as America's transfer of wealth, essentially the way we make our money uh, by selling arms. Uh, the reason why I often mention bringing on Michael Hudson because of his, uh, his theses on uh, super imperialism, he talks about how Europe has operated as a vassal state to the West, particularly of the United States, and clearly the intention is to keep it that way because the wealth that is created by it's given to both the Euro uh, aristocracy, uh, your Brit Britain, okay, the city of London, as well as to what how America has maintained its hegemony over the world. They want to demolish Europe and keep it in that structure since World War II because it benefits America's presumption of hegemony, and which is a dangerous way to operate. And it requires, you know, working both sides and all sides of the fence it, it, with, with such demonic thoughts of, well, you know, we can afford to lose these people. We can afford to have Ukraine just decimate itself because we're going to make a lot of money. And this is the maniacal side of their operation. And I will want to posit also with regard to John Carrico's remarks, um, I disagree with him wholeheartedly, not too much, but to the extent that why would, and it's not a question, I'm, this is rhetorical, why would the Saudis go and attack the U.S. without the cooperation of the U.S. ruling elite? This is the, this is the, Bush said they hate us because of our values. You, we had already had a cabal talking about, which included Rumsfeld and a host of others, saying we needed something like a 9-11. This was Brad Brzezinski's uh, book, uh, Chess Board, uh, Chess Game. I have the book. Simply put, that we needed something to get us into a war, continue war, until a point where we would control, the, the, we would balkanize the Middle East. Now we're moving over to Russia. Uh, what the the, uh, you know, most, I guess, like the exact general who said it, but basically we were going to have seven wars. Russia's just a part of it. This is the beast of America gone wild. This is tragic. And ending the nuclear annihilation. And it's very, this is not coincidence. This is intention of buffoonery. Yes, and it's unintelligent, anti-humanistic intent of people who think that wealth means more, and they don't realize what they're playing with. We are nothing. That's why they have these golden parachutes. You're talking about their getting their, their passports together. Yes. They don't care about us. That is right, Mark. That is right. The person you're thinking about is Wesley Clark, Mark. Wes General Wesley Clark? Yeah. Yeah. V Let's, very good points. Good, thank you, Mark. Good points, Mark. Thank Let's you so Jeremy much. Let's go to Jeremy in Kansas, Superman hometown. What's going on, Jeremy? Uh, not much. Thank you all so much. Um, I, every I, This is like the third time since I've been reporting on these matters publicly uh, at The Antidote that the uh, it looks like the U.S. elements have used little trickles of what was already known about the September 11th intelligence legend plot line to, uh, to manage, to discipline the Saudis uh, by, by putting out certain pieces of information. Now, those in the community, the serious researchers have known all about al-Bayoumi and the relationship of the, between the hijackers and Saudi intelligence for many years. 
But remember, the background of Al-Qaeda, and this is, remember, is only one of a tripartite structure of a deep event like 9-11. You don't only have intelligence, which is the legend, which is the pasty side of it, but you also have a military operation where you get uh, planes going boom, uh, buildings going down. Uh, and then you have a counterintelligence operation, which is the uh, uh, cover-up of it. So remember, even the background of al-Qaeda over decades, even back to the Mujahideen, it was originally cultivated out of the Mujahideen and the support of the Mujahideen by elements of U.S. intelligence in relationship to Saudi intelligence and then the Israelis. You go look at the book Charlie Wilson's War, Charlie Wilson, the key congressman who supported the Mujahideen and uh, got U.S. backing for them, and the Israeli intelligence was operating out of his office at the time. So then that then ties into areas that I think are a little bit more difficult in terms of this platform to discuss. We know from uh, public reporting that uh, people like John Kiriakou have publicly disclosed that when he went to work for Sputnik that he was told specifically to stay away from 9-11 truth. And now I'm wondering whether this element of the limited hangout of Saudi intelligence and hijackers is allowed at Sputnik, but we can't go to the level of Israelis and U.S. intelligence and buildings in lower Manhattan going boom, or whether that has not been made explicit, because uh, it's been made explicit by people like Abby Martin when she worked for RT. It's in her own writing that she was basically given total editorial freedom, except this area of 9-11 and, bu and buildings being uh, uh, controlled uh, in controlled demolition brought down on live television. Is there any, uh, are you, any of, are either of you aware of any kind of a gag order relationship to Russian state media? No, absolutely not. that I'm aware not. of. I mean, I was my, with RT yeah, for almost 10 years and I know Abby Martin personally um, and I agree with her. There's no, nobody's told me shut your mouth on any topic. No, I've had complete full editorial freedom. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like it personally. Um, it's definitely not at Sputnik, but, and Manila just gave you the heads of RT. Um, but thank you, yeah, my man. I appreciate very that. Very informed uh, points there, Jeremy, Absolutely. in Kansas. I Best haven't heard from you before. But in the business. Gosh, Best audience in the business. These people are so smart. We've Let's got go to Sanchez. Um, we got Sanchez. our buddy Sanchez. Southern Cal. That's your buddy. Yeah. Sanchez and SoCal. Yes, from the depths of the 562, I wish you most a uh, most gracious day. Um, what an honor to follow, to follow Jeremy. Um, we've worked together back in the Occupy LA days. Wait. He is, yes, he is my Get inspiration. He, he brought out the uh, radical in me back in the days. I used to be a producer. You radicalized you. <laughs> Wait, you, rad you. you literally... Hold on, Sanchez. You literally know the, that voice that was just preceding you? Yes. He's been in some of my documentaries. See, Homegirl, it's too bad that YouTube took down my channel because I have footage of Jeremy confronting Via uh, uh, Raigosa. Wow. And yeah, when when he stood up to him there during this is during all during the Occupy movement, but I, I've got footage of him. Uh, uh, like I said, yeah, I, I, I've known him for what? Well over a decade at this. What a crazy small world. I mean, and he's in Kansas and you're in Southern California. And you know what? I have I have to admit, I have to admit something since you were there at the Occupy movement, Sanchez. So in 20, uh, 2011, uh, I happened at the time, I was an out-of-work journalist I happen to have gone to work for the devil. I went to work for Morgan Stanley in downtown L.A. 
So I was bypassing all the Occupy, the stragglers, the handfuls that were left, the pockets of the Occupy movement, because I wanted to know as a reporter, it was more important to me to like, wow, I'm on the inside, you know, but then you sign your life away and you can't and you'll be sued up the yin yang. So then I was like, all right, I can't ever say anything. I'll get sued by Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. Didn't want to take that chance. I feel you. Um, um, Dave, um, Sanchez, any other comment you wanted to make? Oh, yes. Well, well, see, originally I was calling to respond about ghost stories. Ah. And I have eyewitness accounts of this paranormal that, paranormal that actually occurred to me. But, you know, I don't know exactly when you graduated or had your uh, prom at, uh, there at the... At the Queen Mary? But, yeah, but... I, 1997. What? When? 1997. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, that can't be right. I can... Wait. What? Your prom was in 90. Okay. Okay. Never mind. That is right. Back in the mid 80s, I was the DJ there. Between the late 70s and the late. Wow. I used to be a DJ there. And after the gigs were over, the, the you know, you get to know the crew and whatever. So they would take me down and into the barrels of the ship that were all like, it, it was disemboweled. The engine room was just a complete hole. But every now and then you'd hear like creaky sounds. But the second place that you mentioned up in Hollywood, uh, the one in particular, the Vogue Theater, which then was called the Supper Club. Now, do you know the history of that theater? Okay, on that very spot, used to be back in the early days of Hollywood, back when it was mostly just groves, there was a little red schoolhouse where that dirt road of Hollywood Boulevard used to be. A fire happened there, and the inhabitants got trapped inside this burning schoolhouse, children and the teacher, and those are the spirits that if you want to call it, that uh, inhabits the Vogue Theater and the Supper Club. And I used to be the DJ at the Vogue Theater doing, like, private parties and, and things like that. And every now and then they would monkey with my equipment or they would take lights or my record boxes out of my van and I would have to come back and get them. And the curator of the theater and the, all of the stuff there was telling me they like you. They like seeing you. So that's the Spooky reason. stuff, Interesting. Spooky stuff, Sanchez. Thank you so much for that story. Over, interesting. Wow. Let's, let's head over now to David in New York City. Hi, uh, I've got an opposite point of view. Uh, I'm very skeptical about uh, this uh, occult and UFO phenomenon. No, I, I do believe there's, there's alien life. That, that's a probabilistic thing. Whether, whether we've, we've actually witnessed it or seen it, uh, I'm skeptical. And, and I've got two comments, okay? Uh, one's going to take about a minute and a half. Hope I have time for that. I'll, I'll leave that for a second. The first one is, is a very short one directed at Manila Chan. Uh, Manila, you, you want proof or disprove? You can't disprove. You can't disprove it. You, see, you, you can prove the existence. Good point. Of, so, so that type of agnosticism is not. <laughs> well, I mean, you have, you bring up a valid point, but I'd like somebody to prove to me that it it does. So, I'd like to prove that it exists, sure, but you can't disprove it. Okay, good no, point. Good point. Prove to me. You got to go and look that look at that stuff up. But go for it. And it, it, it's going to take about a minute and a half. It's something I wrote about ten years ago, and it, it applies exactly to this point. Okay, it, it, uh, if I can have a minute and a half without interruption, I'll, I'll let you respond afterwards. So, wait, a minute and a half is a little strong. We can let's, we yeah. can split about about forty five seconds. Yeah, let's do that because we have other callers. Uh, basically, I think humans have a superstitious gene. In other words, at a gut level, we are all superstitious. Only conscious rational thought can override the subconscious pull towards belief in the supernatural. 
We have to fight out such police since they are instinctive. Otherwise, we're going to quickly regress back to sun worship and human sacrifice. Without modern religions, the world would be a very occult place. Of course, you can argue that modern religions would simply tap the superstitious gene, channeling it to their own advantage and promoting their own supernatural concepts. Relating back to UFOs, I believe that most, but maybe not all, UFO reports are illusions, hoaxes, or frauds. In fact, a large number of these reports have been exposed as fakes. Why do so many people believe? Have they? Have they? Let's, that sounds like something you just make it up. Let's pause right. Yeah, because you're like right most. But how would you know that? How would you know say, that? You bring up you bring up valid points there no, that, about the no, know, about human <laughs> about the human mind and our human spirit and and there's a little bit well, of superstition. So we, I, I'll give you that. We David, are persistently absolutely. in the unknown. I mean, yeah. you know, we just yeah. we're just in the dark David, constantly. We got we got to leave it there. Thank yeah. you so much for putting those thoughts out there and calling me out right there. You're right. I can see that point. <laughs> uh, and we'll go to Nate in Atlanta. Hey, hey, what's going on, my man? I have some I have some else to say, but since talking about ghost stories, I'm gonna talk about that. Uh oh, go for it. <laughs> go for it. People got stories. I know, right? I, I've been in multiple homes with ghosts in it, and in fact, my mom is a shaman, so she is she actually. Yes. Very interesting. My, my own ghost story, uh, well, my, my, my biggest ghost story, when I was a teenager, I lived in the, in the basement of my, my dad and stepmom's house. Um, my room had no windows. 30, 30 seconds, Nate, but please continue. And, and so basically, I went to sleep. Uh, I felt, uh, as I was in bed, I felt myself being lifted up in the air. And it's around the room over and over and over and over and over and over again. And me as a black man, I said, I'm not waking up. I'm not going to see this ghost. Yet it'll be. Whatever. Yet it will be. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, exactly. So, and then. No, I'm saying that's not a ghost. That's an out-of-body experience. Uh, O-B-E. O-B-E, yeah. Sometimes they call it astral travel, et cetera. Um, you can do that subconscious if you practice, believe it or not. But it happens. Some people say, my mom says ask everybody. I'm going to just call the couch because I was. Nate. And then. You got you to gotta inbox me your mom's info because I want to talk to her. Same here. I want to talk to her. One more call. Thank you, Nate. We have Daniel from San Antonio. 30 seconds, Daniel. Or make it 15 seconds. Um, nobody is talking about artificial wombs. And Elon Musk is supporting it. Interesting. Ooh. Artificial wombs. Okay. Ooh, boy. Interesting way I'm to end it. <laughs> look that one up, Daniel in San Antonio. Thank you, that Daniel. Is- wow. I want to thank our producer, engineer. I want to thank my co-host, Vanilla Chan. I want to thank all of you, Rumblers, audience. Phenomenal show, guys. Great job and great questions. Fault lines, Thomas, Chan, you all have a fantastic day. Bye, everybody. Talk to you in the morning. Fault lines.